Now, if you're an Aberdeen fan, you know that success is just a ball hair away. And that's why this episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. The best in men's below-the-waist grooming, Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, the Performance Package 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free, that's free, worldwide shipping with the code ABZPODCAST at manscaped.com. That means your ball hair doesn't need to be quite as close as Kenny McLean in the 2017 Scottish Cup final. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 36 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week is Gavin, Jay, Baxter. Gav, how's it going? Disclaimer, straight away, uh, I am running on fumes as we record this episode, so uh, energy levels are sitting somewhere between Jason Brown and Jet, but <laughs> we're going we're gonna to power through and we're going to celebrate uh, all too rare Dawn's victory tonight. I know, I was trying to think about this uh, earlier today. When was the last time, obviously, we did a, a Don's win to review on this show? And obviously, it would have been after the Edinburgh City game. And I was trying to work out just how many episodes it was. But it feels like it was probably, I don't know, like eight or nine episodes back probably now. Like nearly a third of our overall total since we last had a win. I mean, yeah, Edinburgh City, is, that would be the last win, isn't it? Yeah, it would be, yeah. So in the league, it would be before the winter break. We done at home, yeah. December, so or early January. So yeah, it's been uh well, this is 36. This is nine months we've been doing this for. How, exactly. How exactly. mad is that? Uh yeah, it's been a long time. Well, we know we haven't won a game in 10 before Saturday. So do the math. Absolutely. In a week that saw the Dons maintain our European hopes. That's right. We could talk about Europe again with a much needed win. Rob Wicks finally got his single sign-on bullshit over the line after what feels like a year of banging on about something that nobody else gives that much of a shit about. Alan McGregor finally caught up with civilised society as he branded the Sevco hordes at Dens Park as being, and I quote, fucking arseholes. It's another busy week on the ABZ FP as we look back at Saturday's crucial 3-1 victory over Hebs in the SPFL Premiership. We review the women's team and their 2-1 win against Hamilton in SWPL1. We preview the Quine's homecoming at Pataudry on Wednesday evening. We'll check in with how our loanees have got in on Loan Watch. And after a couple of weeks off, we welcome back the latest in our line of interviews with Dawn's personalities of past and present. This week, it's a man who's still the last active Aberdeen player to travel to a World Cup. A man who made 54 appearances for the club during his time in Aberdeen. It's Peter Kier. But first... Aberdeen 3, yes, 3. Hibernian 1, the 19th of March, 2022. Pataudry Stadium, the SPFL Premiership. A sun-kissed Pataudry welcomed Sean Maloney's Hibs for this crucial 
SPFL fixture, a must-win for the Dons to have any hopes of finishing in the top six and keeping our European hopes alive. Jim Goodwin making one change to the side it was beaten last time out at Ibrox. Calvin Ramsey returning to right back as Funzo King Ojo dropped out of the squad altogether. And there was also the welcome sight of both Marley Watkins and Andy Considine returning to the matchday squad after their lengthy absences, both finding themselves on the bench for this one. And a poor first touch from Joe Lewis ended up with the Dons gifting the visitors a free kick in the opening four minutes, but Jasper's cross drifted harmlessly wide before Aberdeen fashioned the game's first real opportunity, a deep cross from Bergeron, finding Conor McLennan at the back post, and his point-blank header was stopped by Dabrowski, with Ramirez snatching at his follow-up as he was quickly closed down by the Hibs defenders, and the Americans' effort sailed wide, but completely against the run of play. Hibbs took the lead on 20 minutes, a hopeful ball thrown into the box by Chris Cadden, saw Ramsey stretching to knock the ball behind. But all he managed to do was pop the ball into the net past a despairing Joe Lewis. The Dons 1-0 down well against the run of play. It would have been very easy for heads to go down in this circumstance, but the Dons were back in the game. 15 minutes later, some good play. Saw the ball fall to Connor Barron and his effort from 25 yards deflected up onto Rocky Bashuri's outstretched arm. And even Alan Muir couldn't fail to award one of the more blatant penalty kicks you'll see all season. Lewis Ferguson keeping penalty duties despite his last miss at Tynecastle, but he dispatched this one straight down the middle to even things up. And that's how things stayed as we headed into the break. After halftime, Aberdeen started off the brighter dominating possession, pinning Hibbs into their own half. A dipping effort from Ferguson had Dabrowski scrambling, and he did well to tip over before McLennan's low 25-yard effort also had to be held by the Hibs keeper. The Dons have finally made their pressure pay just after the hour mark. Conor Barron's free kick was met well by Bates, and his powerful header crashed off the crossbar and fell to Ross McCrory six yards out before being unceremoniously hoofed into the air by Ryan Xander Porteous, which saw Muir point to the spot and send Porteous off once again, much to the delight of the home support. Lewis Ferguson stepped up again, and he sent Dabrowski the wrong way to put the Dons a goal to the good. Hibs now beginning to fall apart and lose their discipline all over the pitch. Marley Watkins and Dylan McGeeck introduced to the fray just before 80 minutes were up, with Conor McLennan and Calvin Ramsey withdrawn, and the changes paid almost instant dividends. The two subs linking well on the right-hand flank, before Watkins swung a decent ball into the box, met by Bajowin, who rifled a tremendous finish, high into the net from around 16 yards to secure the three points. Christian Mirez appeared to pull up after chasing a ball up the park, and he was withdrawn pretty much instantly, but still managed to wave a couple of bits of grass in the direction of the hip support on the way off, as he was replaced by Michael Ruth before Dante Povara and Terry Jenks then took to the field to replace Conor Barron and Vicente Bajawin as the Dons saw the game out comfortably. A first win for Jim Goodwin as Aberdeen boss, one that sees the Dons only two points now off a top six spot, four points off of Europe, and it was nearly just two points until United scored a last-minute winner at Paisley. I've got a week off before we head into two more must-wins at Dundee and Ross County. Gav, yes, your thoughts on this one? So, um, I'll be completely honest, I wasn't there. I woke up Saturday in Perth. I spent most of it in Stirling doing a music video that I still don't really quite understand what we did. Uh, people can, I'll link it 
when it comes out. You'll you'll all see what I'm talking about. And yeah, couldn't make it there, but um seen the highlights. Obviously delighted with the result. Um the record books show Jim Goodwin. One win, two draws, two losses, or as I like to call it, a one match winning streak. There we go. Exactly. Delighted. Delighted we got the uh, the results. I think it's been much needed. And all you can really say is just God bless Hibbs and God bless Ryan Porteous. Absolutely. Uh, I thought it was a really encouraging performance on a number of levels, actually, from, from us yesterday. Um, obviously, we'd had the two weeks off following the game at Ibrox. I think that clearly helped a lot. Um, you could see... Certainly, I felt we looked very organised yesterday across the piece, probably about as solid as I think we've looked. Probably all season, um, it's fair to say. I know we had that little run, the Hebs Rangers uh, Hearts run under Stephen Glass, where we looked pretty pretty solid. But I felt that yesterday was probably about as comfortable as we've looked defensively all, all season. I guess the Hebs side, who we alluded to in last week's preview, have, had been struggling for goals. They got a couple, obviously, against Motherwell in the Scottish Cup last week. And you would have expected that they would arrive at Pataudry and with, with real confidence, looking to build on that. Um, obviously, they're not in great form either. I think they've only won one game in the last 10 themselves now. Well, that'll be 11 now. Yeah, in 11, sorry now. Um, and so I thought we kind of did really well. I thought, obviously, the, the guys we'd highlighted as being potential threats to us last week were probably Sylvester Jasper. He had a very good game at Fir Park. I thought we nullified him reasonably well across the piece. And uh, Melkerson, the striker, who got two goals, obviously, against Motherwell. Again, I thought we kept him reasonably quiet. There was a, a real iffy moment in the opening four minutes where Joe Lewis takes, I, I don't even know what he's trying to do. It, it, like, from the from the Merkel, it almost looked like he was trying to, like, flick a pass back up to himself to volley it. I mean, he clearly wasn't trying to do that, but that's how bad a touch it was. From that, we end up giving away a free kick, and it was just one of those things you think, here we go, we're bound to concede from here and then it'll be just you know tatties over the side once again dominated most of the first half again without really creating any clear-cut chances I think that's a familiar refrain from us uh, all campaign but at the same time we didn't really look overly threatened the goal that Hibs scores a total fluke of a goal um, it's a hopeful cross that's been thrown in by Cadden Ramsey just gets it all wrong um, nothing Joe Lewis can do about it Um it's one of those, I think I tweeted at halftime, that that's part of the reason. Goals like that in, in games like yesterday are part of the reason that Joe Lewis's stats for this season are appalling because he literally had no save to make first half. There was no shot on target from Hibs from the entirety of the first half, but he goes in conceding a goal. So his like shot save percentage will be in the kind of zero percent mark at that point. You know, that that's part of the reason why his stats look so bad this season. It's just another classic example of it. Um, but I was encouraged by the fact that we, given the way our season's been, given the kind of goals we've been conceding this season, I was impressed with the fact that heads didn't go down after conceding a goal like that, got back in control of the game again, went up the park. Despite what Sean Maloney tries to say, for me, and this is me trying to not have my red-tinted glasses on, doffs cap to the other podcast guys there, I think it's a penalty kick. I, I, I don't see Sean Maloney's argument here about how it, flicked up off Bashuri's knee and onto his hand. I don't think it does, looking at it. Um, the guy's got his hand out blatantly to try and block the ball. For me, it's a penalty kick every day of the week, and if it was given against us, I'd be expecting it. Well done by Ferguson, put it away well. And then at that point in the halftime, we were looking comfortable. And I was really impressed with the way, again, we came out second half. It's one of the things we've really struggled to do this season a lot, Gav. We've spoken about it. 
is being able to put together a performance across 90 minutes, not just a 45 minute an hour's performance. We were solid on Saturday first half. And then we really came out with a lot of impetus second half and really tried to take the game to Hibs. Didn't let them out of their, their half really in the opening 15, 20 minutes of that second half. And then we get that second penalty. Um, I'm aware I've been talking a lot here. Your thoughts on that second penalty kick, Gavin? Well, let's just take it back a couple of steps to the to the goal we concede, um, hmm. which if we're being brutal, it's another case of Calvin Ramsey failing to deal with a cross to the back stick. And it's, yeah, it's horrendous defending. And yeah, it leaves Joe Lewis no chance whatsoever. Um, if Ramsey wants to go forward in his career playing as a fullback, as a defensive player, yeah, I'm just going to say it again, he needs to work on his all-round entire defensive game because it's it's just not been good enough for a few months now. Um, and yeah, like you say, when former in the season we've had, you'd fully expect the heads to go down and... I think it's important to make a note that, yeah, it's great character from the team to come back and and get the result that we did. I tend to agree when it comes to the first penalty. I'm just watching it now to be as fair and balanced as I possibly can be. And yeah, I don't see the the flick off of a foot. It's clear as day off his hand. It's a penalty by mind. And yeah, Lewis Ferguson, he missed the last penalty against... Hearts, the first penalty he's missed as an Aberdeen uh, player, penalty taker. I think it's his first penalty he's missed in his career, actually. Yeah, and I mean, when you hear the way some people talk about Lewis Ferguson, the easiest thing he could do in that situation would be to just pass the buck. So for him to step up and take that responsibility shows uh, a lot about his character. So very well done to Lewis Ferguson. Then when it comes to the second penalty, Ryan Porteous. Well, I mean, what a fucking idiot that guy is. Um, <laughs> Stonewall penalty. If it doesn't happen, McCrory puts the ball into an empty net. I do not see for the life of me what Maloney's argument is. He goes right through the back of him. Maloney's argument appears to be that... Is it the whole idea that he was going for the ball so there was like a quote-unquote legitimate attempt to win the ball and that's why it shouldn't have been a red? Maloney's rationale appears to be that he was making a genuine attempt to play the ball and therefore it shouldn't be a power kick. Now, like, that's not a genuine attempt to play the ball. Like He's just hoofed him up into the air. I mean... It's ridiculous. I, I that was like literally the only thing that could have given me more joy yesterday than Abney getting all three points was seeing Ryan Porteous get sent off, and for it to happen was phenomenal. He he spent the first sixty minutes as if he was just like playing out the first four chapters of the full Scottish Hardman handbook, whinging and complaining to the referee every single time anyone went anywhere near him in the referee's face, big time after the first penalty kick. Seemed to have a real bean his bonnet about Bajowin for some reason. Um, I know that Bajowin likes to go to ground in order to buy free kicks or make it clear that he's been clipped or touched or whatever. And that's just, I guess, part and parcel of a player who's grown up on the, the continent. And I'm all for it, to be quite frank. It's a dying art as a recent guest we've spoken to has referred to it as. Yeah, exactly. After watching Ryan Portis's reaction last week when the boy Mugabe gets sent off, when he starts celebrating it like they've scored a goal without even actually bothering to check in on his teammate, um, the guy's a grade A fud. And I couldn't be happier to have seen him get sent off once again. And that we benefited from, because the, 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 the uncomfortable truth as well for Hibs fans is, Portis is a bit of a bomb scare, but he's actually their best defender. And as soon as he went off, their backline just looked horrendously exposed once again. A great goal 
by Bajowin. It's a tremendous finish. I am sure that that will be one that really helps build his confidence further. I think he's a confident player anyway. I thought he had a good game yesterday. But a goal like that, that kind of instinctive finish, you know, it, it was great he got a goal so early on in his career against Motherwell with, with Aberdeen, but it was a tap-in, you know. Um, I think a goal like that will just help build his confidence. Fantastic as well that Marley Watkins was so heavily involved in the build-up, gets an assist within a couple of minutes being back on the pitch. Even though he was only on the pitch for 12 minutes or so um the difference in our side just in that 12 minutes okay against 10 men which needs to be remembered but even then the difference in our side was marked you could see just an additional piece of quality there hopefully that's him back up and running i think we'll have to manage his game time it's a bit of a shame in one way that we now have a week off until we we played on DS suspect that the manager would probably like to get some more minutes. I wonder if we might have a little bit of a closed doors game or something lined up for during the week for him and Andy Constantine to try and get some minutes. Great to see him back. Great to see Andy Constantine back, obviously, as well. Um, but yeah, all around, uh, a good performance on the whole from, from Aberdeen, I thought. It certainly looks that way. Um, when it comes to the third goal, I think it gives me a lot of um, Ryan Hedges versus Hearts kind of energy. Yep. A little bit different in that Hedges is running onto it, whereas Bajowin react really well because I think the ball takes a little deflection off the doig on the way through shifts his body and then yeah it's a great instinctive finish past the keeper lovely stuff all around Marley Watkins you know when you get Marley Watkins back in you're now suddenly looking at an attack of Bajowin Marley Watkins supplying Christian Ramirez and you're thinking to yourself that sounds pretty handy actually so yeah like I say hopefully Marley Watkins can stay fit for the next seven games and we just our section of the league was referred to as the glob on a yes a view from the terrace as um robert borthwick dropped that crazy stat about prior to this weekend aberdeen hibbs and motherwell having one win between them in their last 30 matches which is just the single biggest damning indictment of how bad this league has been this year and how bad it is aberdeen are currently in 10th even though i've just noticed we've got the fourth best goal difference in the league I know, it's crazy. Minus three, so it's kind of telling the story that we're not getting pumped week in, week out, but we're just, you know, been conceding stupid goals all season. That's just, you know, killed us. I think you're right. I think it's been a good thing that we've had that little break and Jim Goodwin's had time on the training ground to really get his ideas across to the team. And from what I'm hearing, um, both Declan Gallagher and David Bates had good games, pretty solid in there, um, good shape about us. And yeah, if we can build on that and, make use of the attacking talent that we do have in the squad, string a couple of results together in this league, we're going to climb this table really quickly. Yeah. And yeah, before you know it, I mean, none of us here are going to be shouting from the rooftops about top six, but it's a start. Absolutely. I mean, you're saying there about the attacking talent. I think it's the attacking talent we now are starting to have at our disposal because that's been the biggest issue this season for us has just been the lack of attacking options at any given time, whether that's due to injury, like with Watkins, for example, due to players being out of form, because even Ryan Hedges, when he was back fit, he wasn't in the best of form, it's fair to say. It's taken Bajewin a little bit of time to get up and running, but he's there now. Um, Ramirez, we, you know, we can all talk about Christian Ramirez. Um, it's another game that's kind of gone by without a goal for, for Ramirez, um, which is but unfortunate. It would have been nice if he'd been able to get a goal, I think, yesterday, just to try and help him get back going again but I thought his all his all-round play yesterday was 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 fine um you touched on David Bates and Declan Gawker that was for me probably their best pairing 
in terms of a performance by the two of them yesterday. Hibs, it probably needs to be put in context. Hibs didn't really threaten us a huge amount. But when they did get forward, I felt that we dealt with what they had in terms of a threat through the middle with the boy Melkerson. I thought we dealt with that pretty well on the whole. Um, I thought that Declan Galker did what I think we were expecting Declan Galker to come here and do, and that was clear as lines, nothing fancy, did his job. David Bates looked like the David Bates that we were starting to really get excited about, I guess, in the run-up to Christmas, where it looked like him and Ross McCrory were starting to build a, a, a good understanding. So hopefully that can continue. I think the thing that I was really impressed with yesterday as well was our midfield three, superb, and was the complete antithesis of what we've seen under Scott Brown, uh, or what we've seen when Scott Brown was, was playing week in, week out. Um, you've touched on Lewis Ferguson already. Um, thought it was a really, really good performance by him yesterday across the piece. Not just, he obviously gets two goals, um, but his all-round performance was good. He was driving us forward from the centre of the park. Ross McCrory gave us legs in there, was snapping at tackles, was combative, did his job really well. And Connor Barron, I mean, we're going to run out very, very quickly about things to say about Connor Barron. Um, he kind of played as the almost as the the deepest lying centre midfielder yesterday. And his range of passing, his his willingness to get on the ball, his tenaciousness for for being the size he is, never seems to get out muscled off the ball. His his ability to spray passes around the park, his ability to see passes, a player who seems to have time on the ball no matter what, which is such a huge, huge thing for a central midfielder to have. And for someone so young to be able to do that and so relatively inexperienced in this in the top flight. I know at the start of the season everyone was was raving about Calvin Ramsey. Um and we've touched there upon it wasn't one of the Calvin's best games again yesterday, unfortunately. Being honest, I think that the summer probably can't come around soon enough now, in a way. More just for her, Ramsey to either, if there's still residual interest in him, um, I know that Sasulo were at the game yesterday um, watching him. Um, obviously, there was still, there was interest from Bologna in the January window on Ramsey, and there was obviously interest from other teams as well, not just in Italy. I, I do feel so that the summer is going to be really crucial for him because it either becomes a point of he makes a move, and he gets that, and that's that allows him to move on with his career. Or alternatively, he is still at Aberdeen, and it gives him a chance to kind of, I guess, just set his head straight that Aberdeen where he's at for the next six months or twelve months potentially, and allows him just to get his head back on again. Because it, it'll be hugely unsettling for Gallic Rams. I think people need to remember his age. Um, all the talk about potential big transfers to Italy to the Premier League whatever that's going to affect a guy at his age and that needs to be taken into account I think and so I think just an element of settling down for Calvin Ramsey would be a good thing to focus on his football but I was just going to say everyone was talking about Calvin Ramsey at the start of the season and kind of the, the sort of transfer fees we could potentially be looking at for him I mean I know he just signed a deal not long ago Conor Barham but I would if I was Jim Goodwin and Co I'd be back in there getting him a new deal signed up now and try to put him on the same sort of deal that McCrory's not maybe on a financial level but on a length perspective to somewhere like where McCrory is because we're going to be fighting teams off with a shitty stick at this rate. Well, yeah, I mean, we worked out his two-year extension that he's got now. Or oh, he's got two years left on his deal, certainly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, I think we said last week in our review of Jim Goodwin's summer activity that a new contract would be the first thing I'd be looking at for Connor Bannon. Um, he feels like a player that we're maybe just gonna have to enjoy while we have him because i think yeah he could 
it's the time on the ball is the big thing and that's a sign of quality and teams are going to recognize that and he's got so much going for him um yeah i think he could um he's on the right path to having a very very successful career and yeah and maybe just advise we enjoy him while he's here definitely and in a way i think it's a shame that i I, i'll be very surprised if lewis verkin is still an aberdeen player at the start of next season lewis must have moved on to if he wasn't already double figures for another season yesterday i think he's on 14 goals this season i think all in i know that's the bulk of that's penalties but hey that's yeah that's another string to your bow that's not a bad thing to have Absolutely not. When you're when you're being scouted by teams who look at hashtag data, that type of return from a fielder is always going to be good. If nothing else, you can look at some goal. He's a very very good penalty taker. You know, um, that that helps. That does go a long way with certain things. It's a shame in a way because I would really like to have seen that midfield three, like get really get a chance to build and have a really good understanding. So I think that would be an. Uh, for me, that's a, as good a material three as I can recall us having for a very, very, very long time. Uh, and the potential's all there. There's everything you'd want in that sort of setup. There's legs, there's time in the bow, there's technical ability, there's tenaciousness, there's tackling, there's just everything you would kind of want in a midfield three. And I think you could do really, really special things with that midfield three. I just feel it's a shame that it's probably going to break up. But that brings into question one of the, the guys who did play or came off the bench yesterday. Dylan McGee, he was only on for 12 minutes yesterday and I thought he was excellent in his 12 minutes and I know I think we spoke in last week's episode about maybe it's time for McGee and Ojo and these guys to go I'd love to see McGee get some more game time because I think with it's going to be hard for him with his midfield three in front of him he's not a direct replacement for Lewis Ferguson obviously they're different types of players but what you saw yesterday from Dylan McGee shows he has a lot to potentially offer this football team going forward. Yeah, we we all know what Dylan McGee can do. The the issue is we're not telling anyone, you know, anything they don't already know. It's it's his fitness that's the the problem, and whether you can trust him at the age he is to have a sustained spell of playing throughout a season. Um, yeah, good player, but I mean, I don't know. It's just. One of those where you just you want it to happen, but we've seen it. I mean, he's been here for what two and a half years now, and I'd, I'd be interested to know how many games he's played for Aberdeen. Quite frankly, I can't imagine it's a huge number. But yeah, I tend to agree with the the point you made about the midfield three being as good. I mean, it's probably competitive with I'm thinking Kenny McLean, Graham Shinney, and the captain at that time. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty damn good. And yeah, this has got the makings of something special. But yeah, I think I would agree that it's hard to imagine Lewis Ferguson being an Aberdeen player for what would be his fifth season. Um, I think he will certainly be away in the summer. Yeah, so in answer to your question, uh, Bill McGee, he has, uh, in his two and a half seasons here, 44 appearances to his name. 28 of them are starts, so only 28 starts for 16 substitute appearances from that. You know, we all know what what the challenges, what the issues are with with Dylan McGee and keeping him fit. But I thought he was, I thought he was very good yesterday. It was only twelve minutes. It was against ten men, but I felt he just showed what he can really offer us, even as a squad player potentially. Um, I presume he's on a decent deal. Um, well, he came in for a transfer fee from Sunderland, so where you imagine he was probably making a decent enough wedge. Mm-hmm. So. It's hey, I mean, I'd I'd be happy to keep Dylan McGee around as a squad player, but you know that it's two ways. Whether that's what he wants, whether staying in Aberdeen is what he wants, you know, it's all 
all these variables that you have to take into account. And he he he'll want to play football at this stage. He wants to play as much as he can. And if Aberdeen can't offer him first team place, then you know, it comes down to him. Comes down to Jim Goodwin. Yeah, we'll see what yeah, happens. Definitely. Um, Johnny Hayes did okay yesterday. I thought. I was just going to say when it comes to the midfield, though, um, with mm-hmm. Ross McCrory being in there. Yeah, I think we can understand why Ross McCrory's played most of the season at centre back. Yeah, but do you think the previous manager might be just like having these thoughts that may, things could have been a little bit different this year had Ross McCrory been playing centre midfield? Yes, I mean, I mean, obviously, who knows how much Stephen Glass is watching what's going on at the moment? Um, I, yeah, if he's watching this right now, you'd imagine he'd be looking at that and thinking, "I maybe got that." decision and being that dogmatic about the fact Ross McCrory was going to be a centre half, maybe I got that wrong. At the same time, I can understand it because if they, if right, I hate to go back over the old ground again, but I can kind of understand it from one perspective. If they looked at it and went, we want our team to play in a particular way and to play in this way, we need our centre halves to be able to, to, to play. They need to be, able to be able to pass the ball. They need to be comfortable on the ball. And if he'd looked at things early doors and thought Declan Galker is really not the guy for me in terms of playing that role, especially once the injury to Constantine happened. I mean, Constantine's not really a particularly gifted player with the ball at his feet either. Um, but I could kind of understand why he went down that alleyway. And I don't think Declan Galker was doing enough at the same time to force the manager to have a decision to make about whether he went with defensive solidity versus ball playing centre half and to be fair Ross McCrory he was doing well at centre half but you're right were we then missing some added steel and added obviously we're missing added steel tonight because he's at the stereophonics um you know 1998 called Graham they want their music back um that is probably the most controversial thing we're gonna see on this podcast I think it might be amongst our demographic yeah I know sorry guys Um, for the record I also I also don't like ocean colors soon (laughs) <laughs> we're in trouble now guys. Let's, let's, let's just get it all out of the way now um, but I think as you uh, referenced Graham Steele there Graham made the very good point maybe one or two episodes ago that yeah we can maybe get it but I think finding a solid centre back in Scotland is it's not as that's not as challenging as finding a midfield as talented as, as Ross yeah. McClory is and I just think that yeah the season would have been very different had he been playing in his best position I think there's a good chance it would have been. I guess it also depends about how that would have lined up. You know, would he have been playing alongside Ferguson? The, the Scott Brown issue yeah. would still have been there. And we were predominantly playing with a two in midfield. We've switched to a three, really, under Jim Goodwin more often than not. It's kind of like a 4-1-4-1 slash 4-3-3 hybrid we kind of seem to, to, to settle into most of the time. Who knows? It's all if buts and maybe, I guess. But yeah, I think there's definitely an argument to suggest that our season could have looked a little bit different um, had Ross McCrory been playing. And I don't know, I got the distinct impression from Jim Gooden as soon as he came in the door that he viewed Ross McCrory as being a centre midfielder and that's where he was going to play him. And I wonder how many other managers in Scotland looked at Ross McCrory and were like, God, I'd love to have him in my team and I'd play him at centre midfield every day. I have a funny feeling I'd wager that almost every other one would be playing him in yeah. center midfield yeah. which gives you that interesting question about you know okay you try to do something different um 
But if you're the only, sometimes being the one that goes against the grain is not a bad thing. But there are also those circumstances where you go, if most coaches in Scotland look at Ross McCrory and say he's a midfielder, then if you're the outlier on that one, you have to be pretty spectacular with your outcome off the back of it. And that that didn't happen for us. So, I mean, I mean it was spectacular, just not quite in a good way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, a, a really positive a really positive performance from us, I thought, across the board. I think Jim Goodwin was sensible by coming out afterwards and kind of trying to play it down a little bit, just in terms of obviously just saying it's just one step, it's just one victory, it's it's one step in the right direction. The good thing is, like I say, we, we have another week off again, which hopefully gives Jim Goodwin another, well, it's basically two weeks, really, um, to, to do some work on the training ground again, to drill the guys with whatever it is he's trying to get into them. Uh, the big concern, obviously, was the fact that Ramirez appeared to pull up a little bit, um, chasing that ball down. Obviously, we are so light up the top. I mean, thankfully, Marley Watkins is back, but he's not really a direct replacement for uh, Ramirez. So, fingers crossed, that's not something too worrying. And hopefully, a couple of weeks off will will mean he'll be fit for Dens Park, uh, where we now go with a renewed sense of confidence and vigor. And actually, what was interesting yesterday as well was I felt that yesterday was the first time that the fans and Goodwin kind of connected to an extent after the game, obviously gets his first win. Um, you know, the, the players did their usual kind of lap of honour afterwards. Uh, he got quite a good reaction from the shed, gave the old tap of the badge and all that kind of stuff and gave a bit of fist pumping. Well, and- you say tap of the badge, you mean tap of the Adidas logo. Yeah, loves Adidas, loves the three stripes, that man. Um, it's the first time I think I've really seen that sort of real, like, yeah, well, I guess that what the United game, the day was all about Alex Ferguson, wasn't it? And it was. Yeah. Um, clearly, there was nothing to, nothing to create that bond out of the performances at Ibrox or Tynecastle. No. Go back to the original point. You know, Hibs were the team that allowed us to get a result that kind of served as a springboard to not a great run, but it was probably our best run of the season. For being quite honest. Um, yeah. And likewise, today, Saturday, we have showing up, done our job, and come away with a result that we really needed. The league table still doesn't look great, but it's suddenly, the climb is not so insurmountable. And yeah, we move on to Dundee. The first part of my prophecy has been completed. So uh, <laughs> we will just wait now for Mark McGee to fuck it all up. Yeah, fingers crossed the second part doesn't... There was a real mad moment on, on Saturday where you were just looking at the, the live league table at that point, and you, you had the situation with the, where the glob which I think should be trademarked. There was two points separating fourth from 10th at that point. And it was just like, this is just a ludicrous, ludicrous league this year from that perspective. Um, United getting the winner at St. Mirren is a bit of a kick in the teeth because it does put them four points ahead of us. But I don't have a lot to fear at Dundee United if we can get ourselves into the top six um, and then go from there, to be, to be quite frank. The good thing was with the fact that results all went our way again with the exception of United getting the winner at uh, at Paisley if that had finished in a in a score draw that would have been just ideal I think at that scenario you'd had I think you'd had four teams on 37 points I think yeah I believe so it's a sign of either a really poor league this year or a sign of just how congested how little there is to separate so many of the teams this season and how competitive the league is more than anything as well I think People have talked about how bad a league it is because of this. I actually look at something and go, for me, it shows how competitive a league this is. I, I think if if in the English Premier League at this moment in time, if there was like two points separating fourth from, what would the equivalent be for them? If there was, like, if there was two uh, or three points separating fourth from 
17th. Yeah, basically. They'd be raving about how competitive the league was from that perspective and how anything could happen in the running and how exciting it can become. This is one of these things where I think people could, we continually talk our league down a little bit. Um, it's poor for us this season because we shouldn't be here based on our budget. But we are where we are because we've had a horrendous season. We're fortunate in a way that we still have a shout of somehow getting a European spot. Well, yeah, that message continues, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, for anyone in any doubt, we're fourth place is still on. Bad, bad weekend for Mark McGee, obviously, because with St. John's, I mean, every weekend's a bad weekend for Mark McGee, I think, by definition of being Mark McGee, I imagine. But uh, obviously they get beat today by, by, by Sevco on the end of one of the most astonishing penalty decisions I've seen for quite some time, it's fair to say. Um, yeah, probably since the last time Bobby Madden refereed an Aberdeen game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Bobby Madden's beard, by the way. Oh, that's unforgivable. What is, what is that all there? about? What uh, I feel like he's kind of going with like a, almost like a Wolverine type kind of deal. <laughs> but it's yeah. just her, the, the bald patch in the middle is just, uh, it upsets me, disturbs me. Definitely. Wouldn't be allowed if you used Manscaped products. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Careful, Gav. Careful. Careful. Um, but the good thing, I win for us. For those people out there who, who tell us we have to keep on looking behind us and not talk about European spots, our result yesterday, Dundee's defeat once again today does mean there is now 12 points between us and the very bottom of the table an automatic relegation spot Dundee also have a goal difference of minus 28 so that's at least one more point there so it's really 13 I am going to say it now there's absolutely no chance we're going to be automatically relegated from the league this season not a chance I will go a step further I say we could not pick up a point the rest of the season and we would still finish above Dundee I completely agree with that there. St. Johnson obviously winning yesterday, you know, meant they kept tabs with us, but they're still eight points behind. They've still got a minus 17 goal difference, so it's really nine. So it's three wins of a swing. I think I agree with you from what you said previously. I think we will do enough between now and the end of the season to make sure that even finishing in the, the playoff position is not possible. It has to be all looking above, and we have, in fairness, on paper, the next two fixtures are pretty ideal yeah they are obviously away at Dundee bottom team at the same time Hibs play United so I, a, a draw there would be just take a debut uh, Muddle play St Mirren again a draw in that game is entirely possible that would that would work out Ross County Hearts Hearts are Hearts have suddenly kind of turned it back on again I think they want to try and get third place locked up as soon as they can so I'd fancy Hearts to go to Ross County and win that one uh, and then St. Johnson Livingston has all the making. St. Johnson are on a little bit of a renaissance all of a sudden. Yep. So you yep. can see St. Johnson taking something off Livingston. And then the last set of fixtures, obviously us at home to Ross County. Ross County score lots of goals, but they concede shitloads of goals as well. So that could be quite an open affair. United played Dundee in a derby match. So anything could happen in that. It's no, hard United, No, no, no. United will pump them. Uh, see, I wouldn't be surprised to see Dundee win that one. Um, I would. Speaking about Dungeon United, actually, I need to pick this up. Did you spot this in the Twitter messages, by the way? Uh, what's this? Oh, you maybe haven't spotted it then, because you were very busy yesterday. So I was very busy. Um, let me just pick it back up again. I feel that I need to... United fans trolling us or something? Not United fans, it's an Aberdeen fan. Um, but he's he's not trolling us. But I'm going to... Graham Sinclair, he tweeted us to say, Hey guys, regular listener... His stepson is a, a United uh, fan, and he just wanted to tell us 
he said you, and he said you've got it majorly wrong about Ian Harks. So I think this is Gav. This is directed at you here. Yeah. He's he's utter dog shit. Um. So there you go. And um. So he'd asked us to retract that statement about Ian Harks being one to look at this week. So Graham. So Gav, do you want to do that for for Graham? What I'm not doing right now is going to Graham's uh, Twitter feed and seeing any <laughs> of his opinions. <laughs> well, from what I can roughly work out, I think. I think Graham might be a Newcastle fan. He's an Aberdeen fan. Well, I think his English club might be Newcastle. Okay. So this would not be the first time that we've suffered the wrath <laughs> of a Newcastle fan via Twitter. That's true. Um, you know what? I'm going to have to take the uh, Lemmy approach here, and I'm going to... Oh, you no, ba- no backing down. I am doubling down on this. Ian Harks, bring him to Pataudry as soon as possible. Get Hulk Hogan's theme music loaded onto the playlist. Bring it on. Comes <laughs> crashing down. <laughs> there we go, Graham. Apologies, we tried. It ain't happening. Gav is doubling down, not backing down. Um, just let's round off the game on Saturday. I don't know. There's probably no point really in asking you this, Gav, because you weren't at the game. You were busy. Yes, but I will still, I will still uh, put forward an answer as if I was. There. I'm gonna go for it. I love it. Top dawn for you, Gav. There is nothing more podcast than pretending to know about something that you don't. With that being said, top dawn, Lewis Ferks. That was pure sponsors, man of the match, who scored the first goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's who scored? Match. I've not been watching the game, mate. I'm blurred. Uh Not really into this whole football shite, actually. If I'm honest. <laughs> like the mini pies, though. Very good. Uh, topped on for me, Connor Barron, once again. Excellent. Really good. Lovely stuff. Let's move on. Get up, you're Ryan Porges. In other news from Pathology this week, now no real big news out of the club this week other than uh, the launch of season ticket quote-unquote memberships. They went on sale on Thursday afternoon. Uh, love the timing from the club on stuff like this. Only our team would decide to try and launch a bunch of season tickets for next season when we're one win in 10 or whatever it was in the league going in. On the whole, pricing looks uh, fairly sensible. I would suggest prices frozen up until the 15th of April across all tickets, all categories. Um, I guess the biggest news that came out of the programme is probably the reopening of the Richard Donald Upper for season ticket sales next season. And that also includes the provision of a designated family section in Block 5 of the RDU. Um, not entirely sure about that one. We'll come to this in a minute. Uh, Rob Wicks was back out again, uh, extolling the virtues of his single sign-on package Uh I, I don't think anyone gives a shit about this, to be quite frank. Does it really make my life easier or more efficient? Kind of, but, you know, doesn't really affect me in any way, shape or form. I kind of really wish he would stop banging on about this, like this was some sort of massive achievement. Shouldn't take nearly 12 months to do it, but never mind. Your thoughts, Gav, just on the, I guess, the the the, the pricing and the initiatives, shall we say, that are being launched as part of the season ticket, quote unquote, membership scheme for next season. For people like me that don't know, um, can you help me try and envision what's where's block five in the Richard Donald stand? I think it's one of the so I think if you're looking at the Dick Donald from like the the shed, I, I think it's like to like maybe the, the third block in from the right or the second. One of those yeah. two. It seems like a strange location to put a family section, but what do I know? Um, as far as the pricing goes, um, yeah, it's, it's, hey, it's for me, for me personally, and that's all I can speak to. It's pretty reasonable as far as I'm concerned. 
Um, I think there's still work to be done on the pitch this season to really bring people mm-hmm. back and make that appealing. Graham Steele made the very good point about, you know, everything's getting more expensive and the club have lost a lot of good faith uh, through their actions the last 12, 18 months. Um, so yeah, we need to make the most of this next seven games to give people something to cling on to and, you know, really feel like going to Pataldry next year is is worthwhile. Um, but yeah, I think they're, yeah, for me personally, it's uh, it's good pricing. Yeah, I can. I think I'm probably in the same boat in that one. I think we're obviously, you know, in the shed. I think on the price freeze, it works out as being, is it 280 quid, I think? I believe so, yes. For us for next season, that's 15, just over £15.50, I think, uh, per game, which is, uh, you're going to struggle to get that sort of value, I think, anywhere else in the league this season. So a lot of fairness from that perspective there. I mean, and you're right, it's going to be a tough 12, 18 months for people going ahead with the general cost of living crisis that's ongoing at the moment. Um, that also affects the club in fairness. You know, they're going to suffer big time in terms of like uh, energy bills and stuff like that. Going forward, I think Rob Wicks was talking about as well. They're looking at food increases in terms of wholesale prices, about 10 to 12% next season. You know, they're going to suffer from that. And they're going to suffer from the fact as well that we haven't performed on the pitch this season. And therefore our prize money um, coming in is, is not going to be at the level that we would have presumed budgeted for. And we're really going to miss out here on the fact that um, we're missing out potentially on a real bonanza from European football this season. Um, Hearts look like likely they're going to be the ones that benefit from having some form of European football all the way up until Christmas next season, which is entirely galling given how close we've come to that in the last few seasons and it not to be us. Um, I agree with you about the the choice of the RDU for a family section seems less than ideal, I would suggest. But at the same time, I'm not entirely sure they've got many options. Um, well, to me, it would seem to make sense to put it either somewhere in the bottom part of the Richard Donald stand or, I don't know, somewhere in the main stand. Yeah, doesn't doesn't quite make sense, especially from my experience of the Richard Donald upper deck where the view is limited in parts of it, shall we say. Compromise. Yes. yes um, if anyone has the audacity to attack the goal at the Richard Donald end. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, that part I'm not quite sure of, but hey. Like I say, and maybe they're looking at it and people don't want to move season tickets from the lower part. Who knows? Well, that's that's what it is. I mean, I, I think they, they pulled a lot of people. And, it, you know, people should remember that there's people in the, in the lower deck, Donald, who've had their season tickets there since the stand opened and who aren't going to be willing to move. That's fair enough. You've got a large chunk of the seating in the, in the deck, Donald, lower is also the corporate seating. So that's not going to get shifted anytime soon. It felt to me that the natural thing to have done would have always been to try and um, section off a couple of sections in the main stand for the for, for the family section that would have seemed like the obvious thing to do but clearly that's not feasible either by closing the Dick Donald last year they've obviously managed to make sure uh, closing the Dick Donald upper this season sorry um, that's obviously meant you now don't have to worry about relocating existing season ticket holders so you can fresh you can do it from that perspective so that's why they've done it just it doesn't it's a funny one because the Richard Donald concourse and the lower section of stand lends itself to being the family stand because you've got a big space indoors that you can do you know events and activities and stuff for families that makes sense just sticking kids and young families up at the top of the deck doll just seems like a really it just doesn't strike me as being the most sensible way to go i think you know when 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 my wee boy is ready to go to his first game i'm not telling sure what take him up there as his first game of football because if nothing else you're so far removed from the action it doesn't it won't give them the sense of a, 
an occasion, I don't think. But but there we go. The other thing which I thought was interesting that Robux was talking about as well is that they're going to be redecorating, I think, the stairwells and stuff up to the upper Dick Donald. And I think that means they're going to end up painting over all the murals and stuff that were in there from years gone by, which I can understand because if you're taking your young kids up the stairs and there's some of the images that were on that wall, it's going to be a difficult one to try and explain to them and try and explain to the missus when you get home <laughs> at night about why they're suddenly asking about X, Y, and Z. But that, in a way, would be a real crying shame to see that disappear as well because that's part of the, you know, we had our season tickets in the Upper Deck Dawn for a few years and that was kind of... Uh, Part of the part of the charm of being up there, I guess. Sometimes, sometimes and, then it was um, the best part of the game. Yeah, true, definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, who knows? Uh, don't know. Difficult one, difficult one for the club, I guess, from that perspective. I don't think they have a real obvious solution available to them at any given time. But yeah, the pricing on tickets is, I think, pretty fair. Under twelves, I'm pretty sure if you buy a ticket in silver packages, and if they happen to be a DNA member, you can get a season ticket for an under twelve for. I think it's 24 quid. And if they're a DNA member, it's down to 12 pounds for the season, which is just ludicrous. And I suspect if you're clever about it, you could probably buy a season ticket in section Y and just sit somewhere else in the South Stand that has seats available. So there we go. Let's move on. Not that we're giving tips on how to cheat the system. No, not at all. On the women's side, uh, one change for Emma Hunter and Gavin Peace side as they locked horns with Hamilton Ackies in SWPL1 at the Balmoral. Hannah Stewart dropping to the bench to be replaced by Lauren Gordon in the starting 11. And the hosts started strongly against the side rooted to the foot of the table. Bailey Hutchison, Bailey Collins and Ailey Shore both, oh, sorry, passing up opportunities in the opening 13 minutes before Hamilton began to come into the game. And the visitors were unfortunate on 27 minutes as McIntosh's in-swinging corner smashed off the near post with AJ Meach beating all ends up. The game then becoming a pretty scrappy affair as the sides headed in to the break. Goalless. Louise Brown replaced Lauren Gordon at halftime for the Dons and they were soon a goal to the good. Ailey Shore's ball into the box was met by Hutchison who chested down and smashed her finish high into the net from six yards out to notch her 17th of the season. And it should have been two just five minutes later. Gover's cross was met by Brown, but her header was straight at the Aki's keeper. Hutchison, Patterson and Shore all going close as Aberdeen looked to put this one to bed before the game entered the final stretch. And it was Aberdeen who got their second in the second minute of injury time. Fine work down the right by Louise Brown saw her ball in eventually find Chloe Gover who struck into the bottom corner. There was still time, though, for a wee scare. It's Aberdeen, after all. As Hamilton got a goal back themselves in the 94th minute, Quigley finishing well. But the game was up just a minute later. A good, hard-fought win for the Quines that sees them move up into fifth spot in the table, opening up a two-point gap over Spartans. Next up for the Dons is the homecoming SWPL one fixture at Pataudry on Wednesday evening as second-placed Rangers visit the Granite City. Tickets are free for season ticket holders, Aberdeen members, which includes uh, Aberdeen juniors, and all under 12s, £5 entry for all other supporters, a 7pm kickoff. If you can, we'd encourage you to try to get along to Pataudry on Wednesday evening, and after that, it's Spartans who visit the Balmoral next Sunday. A real opportunity to build a five-point gap to sixth spot. 
On to the young team. No game for the young team themselves this week, although a large number of the under-18 squad travelled to the Algarve Cup and the Dons representatives there running out with four wins, three draws and only two defeats out their fixtures, which included two 0-0 draws against Porto and Benfica. Great effort by the young lads, which means we can now move on to Lone Watch. And on to Lone Watch. Have you seen this video, by the way? You maybe haven't seen it about Luke Turner and Mark Galker. Uh, no, I haven't, but I just want to ask, you say that they were playing at the Algarve Cup. Did all the lads get back home? Uh, I'm not sure if they've been back yet. Is that Gav? That's... <laughs> uh, Luke Turner video. No, I'm not seeing this. No. I don't think Barry Robson went out boozing with his pals and well, just gave their children medication. Allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> um, yeah, Luke Turner video. Someone posted it today, it was like, someone's like saying, I'm not saying that it's been a while since Aberdeen had silverware. And they, cl- they, they put this video of Luke Turner and Mark Gallagher celebrating Cliftonville's League Cup win last week. And the two of them are in the back of like the team huddle who are all spraying champagne. And the two of them are both of them trying to figure out how to open a bottle of champagne between them. <laughs> well, they're young lads, you know, they probably don't know what a, don't even know what a bottle of champagne is. Absolutely, definitely. Um, Luke Turner kept his place in the Cliftonville side as they followed up last week's League Cup win, just talked about there, with a 2-0 victory at Glenavon, which sees Cliftonville remain four points behind league leaders Linfield, with a game in hand. So, on the Cliftonville, let's hope they can chase down that mob. Jack McIver was back in the Huntley side as he played the full 90 minutes as they drew 1-1 with the Inverurie Choo-Choo's at Christie Park in the Highland League. Elsewhere, Kieran Nguenya missed out for Kelty Hearts due to suspension as they drew 0-0 with Elgin City. Evan Tyler missing out for the home side completely on this one. And Tyler McKaita came off the bench with a couple of minutes to go for Elgin in this one. Have you seen the uh, chat that Kevin Thompson's been giving the press about what the uh, <laughs> abuse he sustained at Elgin? I did see this, yes. I don't see the problem. I think it's a fairly accurate chant. Just saying. Mason Hancock, once again, failing to make the squad as Sterling Albion lost by three goals to nil at home to Anne Athletic in League Two. Ryan Duncan returns to the Peterhead starting lineup as they lost at Aloha by one goal to nil. And finally, Dean Campbell, happy 21st Dean, was an unused sub as Kilmarnock beat Queen of the South by two goals to one in the Championship. Are we actually going to move on from the news section without talking about the uh, the reports in the press midweek that J. Emmanuel Thomas has been told he needs to get fitter? Oh, I forgot all about this, actually. I felt like we I covered we were it. brushing over that as if that was like just, you know, nothing even really to be mentioned. <laughs> That's because I, I kind of almost felt it didn't need to be mentioned, <laughs> but never mind. Uh, I thought actually it was really interesting the way that Jim Good was kind of asked very outright about Jet's fitness, it felt like by, I don't know which journalist it was, I can't remember now. You know, it wasn't one of these questions that was very much a, is, is you know, Jay available or whatever. Someone asked a very pointed question about his fitness levels, which forced Goodwin into having to give probably a more honest answer than I imagine he wanted to have to give. Um, and yeah, so it turns out that Jumbo Jet is having to do some additional work to... Uh, he's not a jet, he's an Airbus. <laughs> yeah. One of those beluga things, you know. <laughs> um, oh no! Are we? Someone's going to accuse us of body shaming or something now. Uh, 
Graham and I had a good chat about this in the pub actually before the game on Saturday about about. I mean, to be fair, if no one's called us out for the slating that you gave Peter Pollitt earlier in the season, I don't think anyone's going to start complaining now. That's true. Um, I Graham and I had a good chat about about Jumbo Jet yesterday in the pub pre-game, just about the fact that I don't know. It's one of these. I can't actually understand how, if you're blessed with the clear technical footballing ability that this guy has, right, that he can't motivate himself to get to a point of like reasonable physical fitness to enable him to play football and actually make a decent career out of it. I mean, he's probably made a decent career out of playing football, you know, but think how good a career he could have had if he was willing to apply himself, if you take his clear technical ability with the ball at his feet and if you combine that with like a level of motivation and desire to to be as good as he could possibly be like there could be a real player in there and like you know um i just thought it was a very very I, i'd like to say i can't remember which journalist it was that asked the question and if it's a journalist that happens to listen to podcast and we know that some do we know that some do um kudos to whoever it was that asked the question for the way they framed it because it didn't allow the manager to give like a real wishy-washy oh, he's got a couple of niggles or whatever and he's working through it. Like he had to really address it properly. I mean, hey, we're all going to be laughing on the other side of our faces once Jet arrives for the post-split fixtures looking like a prime Cristiano Ronaldo ripped and ready to tear it up for six games and win himself a move to whatever. Um, Kilmarnock. Smashes in those smashes in those 20 20 goals he needs to, to make his target. Uh, 20 plus. So, yeah. Yeah. 20 goals minimum. We're all going to be laughing on the other sides of our faces about that. I think, to be honest, that purely just confirms the story we'd been told already. Previously, he's actually already been told he's no longer required. Um, it would be hard to believe he can get to the required level of fitness and come back in this season. So, yeah. Um, I think it would be a disastrous, disastrous, almost like biblical cursing of our squad that would require Jet to be back in. Absolutely. That's enough about the big man. Uh, let's move on. And on to Fantasy Football Scotland update this week. Here we go. I'm looking forward to this because I had a good week. I've had a good week. It's very rare that I get to come in and say I've had a good week. 53 points. Oof. 53! Which makes me the second highest scorer in our little mini league. I even managed to beat you this week. Yeah, so by just a few points. But yeah, fair play. And sees me climb up the ABZ FP League up to 202nd position. Um, I'm trying to see who my who my uh, who my main point scorers were this weekend that really helped me bolster my way up the, up the league. Well, I can confirm that Lewis Ferguson has got the bulk of your points. Well, Lewis Ferguson, 16. Good. Uh, yeah. Oh, good. Very happy with that. that. That's a that's a that's a solid return for me. I took a bit of a hit a couple weeks ago. I finally decided to get my finger up my arse and actually make some changes to put some players who would actually fit into my lineup. So that, that's clearly paid dividends, it's fair to say. Looking at the actual league itself, though, Jack Curran, his two turkeys, still way out in front. 48 points, though, not enough to keep up with the gas on this one. Gold, Frankincense and Gur, Steve Brown's team still remain in second place. A newcomer Wowzers. into the bronze medal position. I'm 99% sure this is a first appearance all season for this gentleman. I think so. I think so. Timo Crib? Timo Crab? Crab, whatever. Um, yeah, good good show for him. 59 points. Gets himself up into the top three, knocking old Kent Road 
and Oliver cutting out by just one point. Tell you what, though, you got to love people have got Tavernier as captain and he got zero points. Got to love that content. All for that. All for that. Obviously, if you are still in the ABZNFP league, as let's be honest, it's probably a futile effort now to chase down Jack, Jack Curran. I think he's he's looking well away unless he has an absolute collapse of... I think we're talking Stevie G slipping. Yeah. I, I want to make it more Scottish. A collapse of Hebs. Um, Hebs will have done something at some point that will fit that. Hebs. Hearts 86. Hearts 86, yes. A collapse of Hearts 86 proportions will probably be needed to stop Jack Curran taking home the gold. But for everyone else, it's pretty condensed underneath there. Uh, so if you're still involved, I think if you're still in the top 50 or so, you've probably still got a good shout out getting in the top three yeah, here. A couple of good weeks and you're you're right up there. It's uh, yeah. It's our very own glob. We'll call it that. Yeah, exactly, the glob. There we go. Keep on keeping on. There's some great prizes to be won come the end of the season on this one. And so that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break where we return with the latest in our line of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present, this time with ex-Don's goalkeeper and Danish international, eventually, a man who made a great impression despite his short time in the northeast of Scotland. It's Peter here, and to play us out this half, we're delighted to bring you this one. It's Skylights with an exclusive play of their new track, Outlaw, which is out this Friday on 42's Records. Outlaw is the lead track from Skylights' debut album, What You Are, which is set to release in May. Follow the guys if you don't already do so on Twitter, at Skylights, Y-R-A. And you can check the track out on release on Friday in all of your usual streaming locations. So here is Outlaw by Skylights.
So, has lockdown got you feeling like you don't have the self-confidence to embark on an Archie Knox-esque dressing room, dressing down with no pants on? Gav? Oh, you know it, man. You know it. It's like a fucking jungle down there. Well, hey, have no fear. The performance package 4.0 from Manscaped is here. And like a prime realm again, it's a real game changer. (laughs) (laughs) Now, inside the performance package 4.0, Gav, you can attest this. You've got a package. I've got a package. (laughs) We've all got a package. And then we got an extra package. You'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Their weed whacker, ear and hair nose trimmer. Thankfully, that's uh, not of any required use for me quite yet, but you never know. You never I know. need it. I need I, I need that. Not in the ears. I don't have... The ears is not an issue. Well, no one's told me the ears are an issue. Nose, hairs, yeah, that's, that's a problem. Crop preserver, ball deodorant. Crop reviver, toner. Performance boxer briefs and a luxury travel bag for full transparency. All of us on the ABZFP, we've been provided with one of their performance package 4.0s. It's a pretty cool we set, eh, Gav? Yeah, I was very impressed with that, actually. I was expecting just like one, just expecting the lawnmower 4.0 and then to get the full, uh, yeah, like you say, the full package. Very, very impressive set. Absolutely. Hey, and let's talk about the lawnmower 4.0. It's a pretty remarkable piece of kit. Uh, a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce nicks and cuts. It's waterproof. It's got a 400k LED spotlight, which is very handy for in those areas. I mean, if anyone should know, the people that have documented Aberdeen for the last 35 weeks will know that if you go into something with the wrong stuff, it can lead to absolute disaster. Absolutely. And that 400k LED spotlight, that helps you with a more precise shave to make things look a little bit less Davy Robb and a bit more Jim Goodwin. That's right. We've had to think about comparing Aberdeen personalities of past and present here to your boss. That's, that's what we're doing here. And the Weed Whacker nose and ear trimmer. It's waterproof. It's got a proprietary skin-safe technology again. Helps reduce nicks, snags and tugs on those delicate nose and lug holes, ensuring you won't miss a thing from your favourite interview on the ABZ Football Podcast. The Performance Package 4.0 brings even more to the table with their crop preserver ball deodorant, and crop reviver ball toner. And trust me, give that a wee splash on the, the old boys. That'll just fairly lift the day, shall we say. And it'll change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust us, this ball care puts Connor Barron to shame. It doesn't end there. Manscaped even throwing two free gifts to the performance package 4.0, a pair of anti-chafe Manscaped boxes. Now, I used these last week at fives, and I'll be honest... That was the best performing thing about me at goals. <laughs> I was just going to say, it did not help your overall football performance. I had a much more comfortable night's sleep, though. <laughs> and there's also a free travel bag. Now, it's time to take care of yourself. So head over to manscaped.com, use the code ABZPODCAST to get 20% off your order and free shipping. And listen, we know that it's not just guys that listen to our podcast. So girls, you listen out there. Maybe your other half's had that, you know, they let themselves go a little bit in lockdown. Get on there. Maybe a wee birthday's coming up. Even a Christmas present. Get in there early. Manscaped.com. Use the code ABZPODCAST. 20% off your order. Free shipping. Trust us. Your balls will love you. It is crucial to have the right equipment when you're dealing with that particular area. Because if you get it wrong, you're going to make Kirk Broadfoot 
blowing up an egg in his own face. <laughs> Pale in comparison to what happens to you. So get on it. Manscaped.com. ABZ Podcast. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Time now to bring you the latest in our line of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities. And this time, it's a Danish international goalkeeper who was brought to the club by Ebb Skovdal to help sort out a goalkeeping crisis and who ended up making 54 appearances and remains, to this day, the last Aberdeen player to head to a World Cup, as he did with Denmark in 2002. Trust me, this is a good one. It's the one and only Peter Kier. Peter Kier, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going, Peter? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's an honour to be here. Uh, thanks. It's it's uh, it's going very well at the moment. I'm a bit off because I'm working with the Premier League, and the Premier League always uh, need to have a break because That's it. they think they're playing too many games. So I have a break as well. I'm I'm I'm. Uh, I think we will we will uh, speak about it later, but. I'm a partner working with the English Premier League, so I'm off from now on until the next, I think the next two weeks. Until so, they're yeah. back, absolutely. And listen, Peter, the, the, the pleasure is all ours. We'd like to thank you very much for taking the time to join us. It's um, we're looking forward to get the chat with you. So let's just yeah. let's just let's just start at the very beginning. It's where all good stories <laughs> begin, isn't it? So born in November 1965 in the city yeah. of uh, I'm going to get the pronunciation of this horribly wrong, Fredericia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's very good. That's very that's that's better. Yeah, that's better than maybe I'll uh, pronounce it. So that's good. Perfect. Excellent. That's located in the Jutland Peninsula of yeah. Denmark. Yeah. Just talk to us, Peter, a little bit about your childhood and was football always your sport of choice, or was there anything else that attracted your attention when you were when you were a youngster? Yeah, but the football was the main thing. I was uh, with my parents. I'm. I'm the only child, so I don't have any brother and any sister. So the, my parents let me uh, choose what I uh, would like to do, and that was playing football. We were living close to to my first football club, uh, 100 meters, is that 160 yards or something like that, uh, uh, close to to my first football club. And every every day after school, um, I was playing on the it was a big, big field, you know. Um, um, so, so I I play played football since I was I think five six years. Um, so yeah, always played football. Excellent. And and who was your boyhood team that you supported? Uh, Liverpool, and it still is. Of course, yeah. I like Aberdeen, and I like Besiktas where I played. I like the two Danish clubs I played for. But close to my heart is Liverpool, and has always been. So, yeah. uh, and my big, big, big uh, hero was Ray Clements. Ray Clements, excellent, good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's amazing the number of Scandinavians that will say Liverpool when you ask this question. Yeah, yeah especially the, the Norwegian we know, but also the Danes because of Jan Moll, we played uh, a lot of years and I'm working with him now. Um, um, and, and it's a very popular team. I think it's Liverpool and Manchester United over here. Uh, yeah. And then there is some... some Crazy guys who support Arsenal, Tottenham as well. Uh, 
Chelsea, so on. But Liverpool and Manchester United, that's the main teams here in, in Denmark. Yeah. So you, you began your footballing career with your local youth club, who I'll not pronounce because I won't get it as right as Gary did. Um, were you were you always a goalkeeper or was that a position that you fell into? Yeah, I was all I please don't ask me why, because I can't I can't tell you why, but uh my mother was very concerned that I should uh, uh, get injured because, you know, when the ball got uh, struck at me, struck at me uh, and, and so on. But um, even though I, I, I always ran, uh, ran into the goal and, uh, and tried to save the ball, so, so even uh, from, uh, or from, from, from when I was five, six years old, I was always a goalkeeper um, I like to play as an outfield player you know, in training but when it comes to, to, to the real training and to the real matches I, 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 I went for a goal maybe it was because I, I shouldn't run so much when I was a goalie <laughs> I, don't, I don't know I was the biggest uh, uh, lad as well so I don't know why but yeah I, I, I've always played as a goalie so, uh, you know, following on from your, your sort of youth club that you, you signed up for, you moved to, now I will try this pronunciation, Via BK? Uh, that was a good try. In Denmark, we say Weile. Weile. Weile, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was, that was a famous club uh, and still is a famous club. Uh, at, at that time, uh, when I was a youngster, um, I... I uh, my dad took me to to see the 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 games. You know, I was on the stage watching Bayle play. They won uh, the league five times and uh, and had so so many great players. Alan Simonsen, who got the long door in 1977, was from Bayle. Um, so it was a very very uh, uh, nice club who liked to play nice football. They didn't play very physical. It was a uh, a club played technical football, uh, but um, that was my club in Denmark. Um, and when I was sixteen year, uh, sixteen years old, um, I got hired by Weile. They saw me in uh, in some games in this area. Uh, I live just twenty five kilometers from Weile, uh, and asked if I would go to a trial. Um, and I came for a trial, and they said, "Oh, it's all right. You can join us, uh, and you can play as a yeah." It was uh, in the youth team, so yeah, I, I came to Valley. It was a, a unbelievable move for me. And I guess it's 1983. Your career really gets yeah. up and running. That move to yeah. Vila, um, exactly. That's, that's where you start your professional career. Obviously, 1983, a very significant year. In the history of Aberdeen Football Club as well, but we can we can come on to that. And your spell with Vila is, is an era of some success for the club as well. The club win their fifth league title in 1984. They're having regular stints in Europe, including a run in the European Cup that saw them defeated 5-2 in aggregate to eventual winners that season, Stoya Bucharest. Just talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about your spell with Vila. Did you did you feel that that gave you a really good grounding in the game and do you think to allow you to build on for, for future years? Yeah, because when I came there, you're you're totally right. It was in '83 um, as a youngster. Uh, in 1984, um, I went to the senior squad. Uh, our 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 number one goalie uh, was a guy called Alex Nielsen. He had 
Um, he played for Denmark uh, and was a very good goalie. So it was a tough time for me. Uh, I was just 18 years old. But uh, he got injured uh, in the last couple of games of the season. So when Weile uh, uh, won the league in 84, I was 18 years old, uh, I played the last couple of games because he was injured. Uh, so I was just thrown in, you know, like, <laughs> like uh, uh, a young guy. Uh, yeah, now it's up to you. That's, that's, you. We have to win the league, so you have to... <laughs> To play well, um, and uh, yeah, uh, it went uh, like a, a fairy tale almost. Uh, we won the league, and um, uh, that was my first senior year. Uh, so that was a tough, a tough start, but but a good start. Everything went well. So we move forward to 1990, and actually a certain Ebb is brought in to, to Violet to try and re- restore some of the glory days to the club. What were your initial impressions of Ebb at the time? Um, of course, we knew him because he, he started his career uh, in a small club uh, called Brunswick. After that, uh, he joined Brunby uh, and he made Brunby famous. He was, uh, everyone is talking about gig and pressing with, with, with Rangnick and Klopp, but Ebbeskoftel was, uh, in my opinion, the first manager I've ever seen playing this uh, uh, kind of pressure uh, uh, in football. He played 4-4-2, but it was very um, uh, aggressive. Uh, and that was gegenpressing, as we know. That was uh, the real gegenpressing. That was, uh, I think he, uh, he nearly dis- uh, uh, discovered uh, because uh, no one had, uh, had ever seen a team playing like this. But he did that in Brunby uh, and won the league, uh, and they were very, very good Brunby. Then he came to Benfica uh, uh, in Portugal, uh, and we had a good team uh, in Vile, so we also want uh, uh, a big manager to, to, to see if we could win the league again. Uh, and then we had uh, Skoftal, but it didn't work well because he was from not from Jutland, he was from. Copenhagen, and it's I I don't know in Scotland um, if you have if you have two things that is so far apart from each other as Jutland and Copenhagen. Maybe it's Scotland and England. Uh, uh, it's very very different uh, 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 kind of people than the the way they they speak, the way they they see each other. So he was a. A good manager, but it didn't work work well, uh, and we were very close to be relegated. Even if we had seven international players in Bayle, we 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 failed big time. So it wasn't a success, and he got uh, uh, sacked in Bayle as well, Skoftel. But I liked him. I liked his style, and maybe that's why uh, that's why I ended up in Aberdeen later. But uh, I liked him, and he was a good coach, but not in Bayle. Yeah, sometimes. Things, you know, it's just the wrong time, the wrong place, or things just don't quite work out. So, like, you you know, you touched on there, it didn't go too well for him and for Viola in general, actually. At the end of the 91-92 season, they were unfortunately relegated from the, the Superliga, and that's when yeah. you made your, your last appearance before you moved to Silkeborg, yeah. IF, um, of the Danish top flight. So you left Viola having made 225 appearances, and according to my research, he scored two goals. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, 
two goals in the league and also a couple in the uh, in the penalty shootout. Yeah, that's right. You're right. I was because I always said uh, I was the best kick off the ball, um, and I think the coaches and the players were thinking, "Oh, fucking, he's a, now he's talking safe again." <laughs> But uh, then our penalty taker was uh, injured, uh, and we got a penalty. And uh, before the game, the, the coach said, "If you have a penalty, I will have a uh, a goal." Because I always said I was a good penalty taker or a good uh, uh, kick off the ball. And um, yeah, uh, we had two in the league, and I scored two. And we have a couple in uh, a couple of uh, uh, shootouts in the. In the cup, uh, uh, it's a cup competition, and and I scored there as well. So uh, yeah, it was quite a success. So th- so in the league, that's obviously penalty kicks you took in normal time that normally yeah. an outfield player. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I've I've seen it on television <laughs> now and again. I've never experienced yeah. that in real life. Oh, you have seen the uh, Silver? Remember him? Yeah. From, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was. He also took free kicks, but yeah, uh, yeah. Of course, I. If I should miss it, I should not hit the target. Uh, the goalie shouldn't shouldn't save it. But uh, a fun story I had once: uh, a guy I think you know, Peter Schmeigel. Yeah, yeah, you know him. Yeah, of course, you know him. Uh, we were playing together uh, for Denmark. Um, of course, he was number one. I was number two. That's all right. He was a very <laughs> good goalie, but I was a, a substitute. And then we had been um, for. For, for a game for Denmark uh, and we were talking uh, about uh, the, the coming week we should play each other he played for Brunby I played for Weile and at the time they had problems to score on penalties they had went out to Sportul uh, a, a, a team from Romania um, on penalties uh, and they had missed so many penalties in the league so the next penalty they will have Peter will will uh, 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 converted so we had a, a, a laugh when we were together for Denmark then we came to Sunday we played against Brondby in Weile Brondby got a penalty Peter should should take it and I saved it yes. I saved it <laughs> and yeah we were 1-0 up it was a big result for us they had a brilliant team with Laudrup and everything Every very very good team I nearly cast it Throw it out for 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 one of our midfielders who who kicked it in goal uh, and we won two 0 The goal was empty because Peter was running back. <laughs> so that was that was our. I've never been so happy to save a penalty uh, as I was that day. But uh, yeah, I saved a penalty from Peter and I was unbelievable happy. Yeah. How did the big man take that next time you were in camp in Denmark? I can tell you, he was crazy after the game. You know, uh, at that time. Uh, the small ball boys was running to the park asking for gloves or something like that. They asked Peter for for his gloves and he just hit them. He just <laughs> hit. I honestly, he hit one on his chin. And after that, um, Brunby's chairman must uh, uh, apologize for for the behavior of Peter. But he was furious because every everyone was laughing at him because he missed a penalty on me so oh it was it was good fun he wasn't happy though oh, i love it i think yeah. that might be up there i think that might be up there already <laughs> with one of the best stories we've heard during these yeah and it's a true story i'm not i'm not telling you a lie it is a true story 
I, I wasn't going to move on to Aberdeen quite as quickly, but I might just really quickly. Did Did you ever ask Robbie Winters if you could take a penalty for Aberdeen? Oh, Robbie Winters, yeah. Um, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> let's Let's just move back again. So you moved to Silkborg. How did that end up? coming about and, and was it hard for you to leave Vila because you'd spent such a large period of time there it was yes I was uh, I should have gone to a trial for Leeds and Bolton mm. at the time uh, but you know uh, I, I knew the agent but he was you know talking about yeah maybe maybe tomorrow maybe the day after but uh, I couldn't wait uh, because uh, I, I should have a new cup because Vila was going uh, it it was not going very well in Ireland. Yeah. They were not. Uh, they were. Uh, they went to be semi professionals, uh, uh, and and of course I I I couldn't uh, cope with that. Uh, and then Singapore came. It was quite not a new club, but they haven't been playing in the best league that many seasons. Uh, but they went for me and uh, and said they will they would like to sign me. They got the coach, uh, a Swedish coach that later became the Danish uh, uh, national coach, Bo Johansson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wanted to, to sign me and uh, because they had a project said that they should be Danish champions in 1994. Um, and I think, oh, that sounds very well. Uh, I would like to be champion there. So I, I will go join you. So I did that. Uh, yeah. And as you've just touched on, it's a real period of ascent and growth for Silkborg. They'd promoted to the Superliga for the first time in 1987 and then the 93-94 season when you're there. Silkborg go on and upset all the odds to win the Superliga. One of the highlights of the season, uh, a memorable comeback from 2-0 down against Ebsko of Dalsbronby to win yeah. 4-2. What can you remember about that game? Um, I know it was early in the season, but did that give Silkborg confidence that you could go on and actually win the title that year? You're very, very good at your research because... Tell me about it. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> you're very, very good because when we speak about the, uh, this season, uh, the season where we won the league, we often talk about, especially uh, that game against Bronte. We we played awful um, and we shouldn't have uh, had anything. They, they, were, they were better than us uh, and they were a very close rival. Uh, even if they didn't finish second, they were a very close rival. But uh, two 0 down, and then uh, got two two out of uh, out of nothing. Uh, when we drew home, and we often speak about it, uh, as I said, we said if we can get something out of this game, like we did, we c- we can do it. Uh, and as you said, it was still early in the season, but we have played. We were up there with, with, with Brunby and Copenhagen. Um, but that game, especially that game, um, shows that, all right, we, we could do it. Honestly, we could do it. So you're right. That's, that was maybe the main game. Football's such a confidence sport, isn't it? And momentum builds momentum. And before you know it, you're securing a 2-0 victory against Alberg. Copenhagen are defeated at Odense. Provide Silkborg with their first ever title. <laughs> what were the celebrations like after that one? It was a crazy. It was a crazy last last round because the round before um, we were playing away to FC Copenhagen. Yeah, we we lost four one, 
And now I have to tell you a crazy story as well. We have a doctor who was a very, very nice guy. He was a good doctor, but he didn't know any, anything at all about football. <laughs> anything at all. Because uh, when early in the season, we had beat FC Copenhagen at home 5-0 in the, in the uh, not the last round, the second last round, we should play away to FC Copenhagen if we won that game, we'll be champions. We came 1-0 up, but we got played out of the park. We lost 4-1. We, we got into the dressing room and we were we thought we lost the championship because they went above us. They were number one now uh, and was just one game left. So if they won the last game, they would be they win the league. Then our doctor came in. We were we were equal on points, but they had a better, you know, goal difference. Mm-hmm. But he said, why are you not happy? Everyone was looking at him. What What are you talking about? We just lost 4-1. Yeah, but in the first game at home, you won 5-0. <laughs> I said, <laughs> what? <laughs> then, then, then our Swedish, Swedish coach, who is very calm and a very uh, 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 yeah, calm and human guy, he said, Doctor, will you please go out now? <laughs> Can you please go out? Because that it wasn't a European game, you know. It was we were very, very much uh, uh, down on that. But it went, uh, it went uh, very, very good in the last game. It was we played at home to Albert. We won two nil. Um, and as you mentioned, FC Copenhagen lost in Odense. Uh, in the stadium, we were comfortable 2-0 up. We knew we would win the game. Behind my goal, there was a monitor. Okay. I don't know what, uh, what it was a monitor. Uh, and then they they switched between our game and the game in Odense where Copenhagen played. So when we had the ball in our game, you know, in 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 Olborg's uh, 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 area, I was just looking at the monitor and see how it went in Odense. So I was following the game on the monitor behind my goal uh, and could see that uh, Odense uh, equalized and also uh, uh, made the 2-2 two, two, two goal. So so we won the, the league. So it was crazy because it's a small, it's a small club uh, and everyone couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't understand what happened. It was... It was going crazy. Following on from that, which I'm sure was a great, you know, achievement for you in the club level, we moved to 1995, where you get your first full international recognition, uh, called up to the Denmark squad for the first time, and part of the squad that wins the 1995 King Fad Cup, which I think might now be the Confederations Cup. Yeah, uh, maybe I have to. I've been called up many times. For, for for the for the internationals, I, I think I for have, this you didn't play. You were in the squad, but it was the first time you've oh, been called up into yeah, the squad, which can, is maybe why you don't recognise the period yeah. as much. Maybe the ones where you play mean a, bit, a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I would like to play more, but I can tell you, in in nineteen eighty seven, I was called up for the first time for for the internationals uh, for the international squad. Uh, and the number one goalie was Peter Smigel against Slovenia in 2001. Peter yeah. Smigel played his last game 
I was on the bench as well, and I got substituted for him. He finished his career. I got my debut in, uh, in 2001. So that was a crazy time for me. And maybe you're right. It was uh, the first squad when we played a tournament. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in King Fat Cup. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that, that's, I think that's what it was. Um, so just yeah. wondering, I mean, that must have been, you know, getting into a, a squad team uh, or a squad cup must have been pretty, you know, good moment for yourself and quite a proud moment for your family, I guess. Yeah, it was a proud moment, but I've been uh, sitting on, on on the bed so many times, so I I got used to it. Um, and, and, and I was maybe just a little bit unlucky that number one was Peter Schneider. Uh, I accepted because he was a world-class keeper and I know yeah. nowadays and we're good friends, but if he just was uh, choosing the Polish passport, maybe <laughs> I could, maybe I could have had some more games. But he didn't do that. He he chose the Danish passport. Maybe that's good for Denmark because I think he was one of the main reasons why we won it in '92. But yeah, um, he was a world class keeper. Yeah, uh, it was a proud moment. Every time I got uh, called. Uh, Call up for a Danish international. I was proud because there were some good goalies at the time. Unfortunately, uh, one is dead for uh, not not that long ago in December. Uh, Lasu, who was uh, uh, one of my good friends and also one of my, you know, we were battling about the 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 second choice after Peter and, and in the squads. He died to cancer. It was very sad. Um, he was a mentor of Peter's son, Casper. Casper mm. uh, said that he was like a second dad to him. And uh, no, it was sad. It was not a story. It's very, very sad. I mean, it shouldn't be sad, but but uh, he was one of the of two, three goalies that was uh, competing with 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 not with Peter, but to be Peter's uh, second choice goalkeeper. That was how it was. But yeah, I was proud every time also. Yeah, so you, you travelled with uh, the Danish squad to the 98 World Cup um, yeah. in France before being named the Danish Goalkeeper of the Year in 1999. Uh, we yeah. wouldn't dwell on who else has won that a few times. You've spoken about it enough. <laughs> but uh, I'm guessing that particular award, probably quite a special award to have been granted, given that uh, it's voted for by the goalkeepers of the top two divisions. So it's your peers, essentially, yeah. that are voting you the best, which I'm... I'm guessing must have been, you know, quite a, quite an achievement. Yeah, I was happy, and now I have to be a little bit uh, harsh because I was happy because I should have had it uh, a couple of times before that as well. <laughs> um, so I was, I was thinking maybe I won't ever have it. Uh, I can live with that, but I think I should. I played some good seasons in Denmark that should have given me the the, the trophy. And you're right. It's quite a it's it's a nice trophy to have because it's the other goalies and and it's uh, it's it's almost or nearly every time it's a it's a fair result um, of the votes. But I should I think I should have had it before, but no way. Uh, I I was very very happy. Um, so yeah. That, that that was one of the the highlights, the, the 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 personal highlights. We've kind of touched on it again. You travelled with the Denmark squad to Euro two thousand. Uh, that's now yeah. two major tournaments that you travelled to, but 
but didn't actually have a chance to make your full national team debut yet. Wow. Were you getting frustrated with the lack of opportunity to play for the first team? Or were you just really chuffed to be there, part of the experience? It's Schmeichel who's the number one. No, it came later. Uh, in 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 there wasn't uh, any competition. Peter was, of course, number one. In two thousand, there wasn't any competition as well. We had a we had a decent squad, but with many many injuries. Peter was injured himself. He didn't train. He was uh, lying in bed all the time and just played the games. And it didn't went it didn't went well. Nobody really uh, played well. We didn't score. We didn't get any points. It was very, it was a very bad tournament. No one here in Denmark. Talks uh, about it. <laughs> no, no, ever mentioned the the, the two thousand. Uh, so, no, when Peter was number one, there the, there was any anyone asking about it. So, no, uh, I was just happy to be there, to be in the World Cup, and to be in the Euros. That was, I think. For me, with my talent, that was that was the main thing I could uh, uh, achieve. So, no, uh, it came later a little bit. Do you think if you were 10 years younger, you would have had a lot more caps for Denmark? Just purely because there's much more games now at international level, more friendly matches, and, and now the Nations League, for example, gives, I think, managers more opportunities, I think, to to play around with their squad a bit and give guys opportunities and see what they can do at that level. Do you think that, like I say, if you'd been 10 years younger, you might have had a lot more caps under your belt, do you think? Yeah, because Peter wasn't there then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, even, if, even if Peter had still been around, though, maybe gives an opportunity to... Yeah, maybe. But uh, after that, Thomas Sorensen, remember him from yeah. the uh, Villa, <laughs> Sunderland and so on. So uh, he was a good goalie as well. Um, and I... I thought I maybe had a, a a little chance to to get the number one shirt after Peter, but Thomas was very uh, a very talented goalkeeper, uh, and it was written in the books that he should be the new number one. And of course, he had the years in front of him. I had my years behind me nearly, so I accepted uh, with no problem. But that was maybe. In this period of time, I had a chance to maybe had a uh, had a year where I was number one, but it was just a few games. I had the number one shirt, so uh, we had we had two very good goalies for a long, long time in uh, in Peter uh, and and Thomas as well. Let's just stick with the Danish national team quickly. I was going to talk about Silkborg and winning the cup, but we'll come back yeah, to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we touched on it earlier on, the 2001 season is a memorable one for you for a couple of reasons. One, Silkborg win the, the Danish Cup. We'll talk about that in a minute. But also, as you just touched about, you got your senior debut for Denmark, 25th of April 2001. Came off the bench in Copenhagen for Peter Schmeichel in his farewell international match, the Danes beating Slovenia by three goals to nil. What was going through your mind as you actually got onto the field that night? I was simply so happy. I was, I was so happy because... Um, when you have been on the bench, I have now been on the bench for 42 uh, international games. And if you didn't have had any game, I can speak to you and every uh, uh, everybody and say, yeah, I was a, a part of the Danish national team. But if I never, ever had played a game, then it's quite, ah, yeah. it will, it will, I think it will follow me for, for for, for many many years, we have some some Danish goalkeepers now. The 
they have some of the same problems. Uh, they didn't have a game. They have good goalies, but but they they didn't have a game. And I I I really I really was starting thinking about maybe I wouldn't get a game, and um, it it made me sad. Not not because that I will promote myself at, uh, as the biggest international that I've ever been in Denmark because I'm not, but. Just to have this, you know, cap or what you call it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would just like to have it. So I can say, all right, I have a cap. Um, so I was very, very happy when it was uh, 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 done. Uh, and after the game, there is a tradition where when you are making your debut, you should make a speech after the game with the, with the team. You have a dinner. And I was, I was the oldest. Uh, <laughs> I was the oldest player to have my debuts. But uh, I said I've prepared my my speech now for twelve years, so it's a very <laughs> long one. You should <laughs> just relax. It's a very very long speech now. Uh, so no, I was I was very very happy. My family was there because we knew it before the game that uh, Peter should, you know. Uh, say farewell, um, have standing ovation, and then that would be me. So I was happy. and was a clean sheet as well. That was good. <laughs> there you go. What more can you yeah. ask for? <laughs> no, 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 no. And it's it's the first of four caps for you. Yeah. Um, you yeah. made two in the qualifiers for the 2002 World yeah. Cup. We'll come on to that later on. A 1-1 draw against Northern Ireland in Copenhagen, and then a start in Sofia as um, Denmark run out 2-0 winners, thanks to a double from Yondal. Thomason against yeah. Bulgaria. Yeah. But the 2000-2001 season back on club level, um, really important one for you guys. Silkborg win the Danish Cup. That's the first time Silkborg have ever won the Danish Cup. A 4-1 victory over AB in the final. Can you recall much about that one? And just again, on a personal level for you, your emotions now about being a league and cup double winner with Silkborg. Yes, I can. Uh, because you're right, I have won one cup, and that was uh, the cup we were mentioned there. I've been in five semifinals, one with Weiler and four with Silgeborg, and 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 uh, just on the fifth, we 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 made the final. And uh, I was captain at the club, so it was a big um, it was a big moment for me, you know, like the FA Cup. I know it's not the same. There's not one hundred thousand uh, 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 spectators, but. It was still, it was a big day. We played uh, a, a club from 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 Copenhagen um, uh, and and walk in Parken as a captain uh, with my team. We had a good team. We were we could have won the league this season as well. We were up there, so we had a good team. The game was a strange game. We were one nil down. We played awful in the first half, uh, but we won four nil with four beautiful goals in the second half um, and after the game um, I should that was <laughs> a funny moment as well I'm just making uh, a small cup movie they will they will try to promote the the, the copy in Denmark so uh, I got interviewed with one of my uh, teammates about that game especially about that game uh, and the guy uh, I was interviewed with is calling Mr. Silgeborg because he's played there for, for many, many years. He used to be captain, but the last couple of seasons, he wasn't 
so when we won the game, we should have the cup, you know, lift the cup. Uh, and it should be me. But I think I will uh, uh, share it with him because he was a real Mr. Singleball. So I said to him, his name is Morden. Morden, we have to lift it together because I'm the captain. Okay, I should do it, but you are Mr. Singleball, so you'll do it with me. The biggest problem was the cup here in Denmark at that time was so small <laughs> that that we nearly couldn't have two hands on it. So it looks crazy when I uh, lifted with his hand on it as well. There was just uh, space for one flower in, I think, you know, a small one. So it was crazy. But uh, but he he has been writing a book, not about that, but in general. Uh, and he said that was the biggest moment for him that he was was chosen from me to to lift the cup so he was very tossed about it so i'm happy to to do that but it was still a fun story we couldn't couldn't have our hands on, on the cup post because it was so small but yeah it was a it was a great moment as well because that was nearly my last game for for Singapore before i moved so it was a good day, and and of course, it always nice to win cups. So we'll we'll go back in time a little bit to 98-99 season, where, as far as I can see, you scored twice for Silkeborg in relatively yeah. close succession. A game against our house on the thirtieth of May, and then another against AB a couple of weeks later. Were these presumably these were penalties again? Yeah, it was two penalties. Yes, you're right. Uh, and the one against AB was. That was a team we played in the in the cup final as well, and they had a goalkeeper that was uh, competing with me for you know to 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 be on the bench for Smiker as we were talking about. It was a good goalie, uh, but I um, I took the piss. I I, I <laughs> when I shot the penalty, I I know what 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 uh, penalty takers like to do is. When they when they like to take the penalty, they they put the the ball down and then they with their eyes they look on a specific point in the goal that uh, they will have the goalie to think he will shot it exactly on the point where I look. And when I uh, 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 did that against the AB goalie, I look at a point, and normally the goalie will go opposite because he will think, all right, now he looks there and then he'll put it the other way. But I put him exactly on the point where I looked and he went the opposite way and I was just laughing because it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, 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 he got, uh, he got lured by me. So uh, yeah, we were talking about it later that, that, uh, <laughs> that he, <laughs> it was quite funny. He, uh, he didn't recognise that I was doing the opposite of what we normally do. I thought when you said you took the piss, you, you gave it a wee paneka. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I, I was not. Yeah, then it's a big disappointment. No, no, no. I was always um, struggled with, 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 with good pace, but not, not just pace, also very, uh, very precisely. Uh, just the inside of the foot, um, I was never looking at the goalie. I know nowadays when you see Shoshino for, for yeah. Chelsea, he'd take the long jump. I didn't do that. I just put the ball down 
uh, and then I said I will put it exactly there, and then I will go for for this spot. I even if he was moving to this side, I would put the same place. So yeah, that was my way to do it. What a power on a penalty kick! That sounds like you, Graham. Well, I was say, <laughs> a man after my own heart. I'm very much more. Uh, it's more the pace that gets the ball into the net for me rather than my ability to direct it. Yeah, but you can always put a penalty in the middle of the goal, nearly. The, 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 the goal will always take, take, a, take a chance or a gamble. So, yeah. It's also possible to put them over the bar as well, but um, I'm sure <laughs> or in my experience it's possible anyway. I, I've seen that a few times. That's good in rugby, is it? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought we were playing at the time. So, uh, well, maybe move away from my lack of football ability, and we'll come back to your your career. So, your your spell with Silkeborg comes to an end in two thousand one, um, after you made two hundred ninety one appearances, scoring a couple of goals that we've just uh, spoken about. Before you make your first move away from Denmark to join Turkish side Besiktas, can yeah. you tell us how that came about, and how did you find? actually moving to Istanbul. I mean, that's a completely different culture to what you would have experienced before. I can understand why you asked me. At the moment, I've, I got a little bit, uh, I, I won't say panic, but I was 35 years old. And I think now I've reached everything in, in my football career. I have won everything. I have played uh, international. Now I just, I just uh, need to play abroad, play in another country. Um, then FC Copenhagen came for me, in fact. Um, they made me an offer and we agreed, but something happened. So my former club, Singapore, I think they were a little bit, they were not fair at that time. Um, uh, I got a bit angry and said, all right, I would like to have played in another country, but FC Copenhagen was a big club. I could, I could live with yet just to have a, a new experience. Um, then I said, now I've served you for, for, for nine years. I think you should give me a free transfer to maybe see if I can find another club. I'm 35 years old. You can't make any money on me. All right. I said, uh, my good friend, Preben Elkia Larsen, uh, who's a famous football player, uh, not just in Denmark, but in, in Europe. Uh, good friend of mine. Um, and I said, if you hear anything, Will you please see if you can uh, make a, uh, a good word for me in, if there is a possibility? Then he, he, uh, he phoned me and we were away with Denmark and France. Uh, he phoned me on my hotel room and said he had been talking to Christoph Daum, who he uh, knew from his time in FC Cologne when Christoph Daum was there. Uh, and he was coaching Besiktas and, and they played one game and the goalie had made a big, big mistake. So now they would have won a new goalie. <laughs> uh, and Preben phoned me and said, now, honestly, I have a club if you want. Uh, and then I said, it's all right. I'll, I'll take the chance because maybe there won't uh, be any other chances uh, because I'm 35 years old. And, uh, and then we went to Besiktas negotiating the contract, Preben and me. Uh, and that was with Christoph Down and all the president they were down there. Do we uh, we find a solution, and uh, I signed for Besiktas, who was at that time and still is one of the three biggest or the three big clubs. You know, Besiktas, Fenerbahce, and Galatasaray. Now I know Trabzonspor is maybe 
the biggest club now because they will win the league this season. But these three Istanbul clubs are the biggest clubs uh, in Turkey. So I was happy and just want to play a couple of years there, but it didn't win that way. <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, that was uh, uh, my my move to Besiktas. You're only there for a couple of months. You make yeah. six appearances, and Christoph Daum, I yeah. think I read. He told you or he informed you or maybe the squad that he planned to resign and that was what triggered you yeah. to ask for your contract to be terminated as well. Is that right? You are for, you're, 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 you're totally right, yeah. Because he he bought a lot of players this season. We were eight foreign players um, uh, and he yeah, resigned. He will be sacked, he said. Uh, and when, when a coach uh, in the clubs south of the border, we always said... When, when that happened south of the border, uh, the players, the coach have bought, will just get a terrible time because there will be a new coach and he will have his own players. Uh, and the players who were there before, they will have a tough time. They'll, mo- they, they'll maybe uh, not get the salary and, uh, and they won't play. They will just sit on the uh, uh, bench or or even not in the squad, so they will have a tough time. But uh, as he said to me, I can maybe help you out of your contract if you want to to uh, to get out of your contract uh, uh, and have a couple of seasons uh, uh, in another country, another club. I said, yes, please do that because what I've experienced there for the uh, for the first two months that was simply crazy. It was simply crazy. Um, yeah. You would have had Arold Stavrum would have just moved to yeah, Besiktas yeah, yeah, yeah. at that exactly. point from Aberdeen. Um, yeah. Arold joined us on episode two, Graham. I think he was our second guest. I think he was. It was really early, yeah. Yeah. How did you find Arold when you when you first moved there? <laughs> A very, very, very nice guy. Very, very nice, but very relaxed. <laughs> I remember when I came to Besiktas, he was injured. He was just lying on the, you know, where the fishers doing their, uh, uh, what do you say, massage. He was just lying there reading a book. And I can even think, <laughs> uh, I started to speak, I could speak Danish because the Norwegian and the Danes can, can understand each other. So yeah. I was just like, I don't know, what are you doing? You're just, you're just lying here reading a book. You have to prepare, you have to get... Ah, come on, we take it easy, you know. He was just a very, very calm and relaxed guy. Very nice guy, but he was relaxed. Nothing could 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 uh, could do any harm on him. He was so uh, uh, easygoing. Uh, I liked him, and he was a good striker. He was lazy on the uh, on the pitch as well. He didn't run run much, but he was he could score goals. But um, when I was uh, with him in Besiktas, he was injured most of the time. But yeah. no, we 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 had a a, a good couple of months together, uh, and he was a very, very nice guy. Yeah, he's not changed a bit. Still an absolute no. top guy. <laughs> still chilled out. I think he's probably the, the the most chilled guy we've spoken to. I think on this yeah. podcast so far. Uh, top guy, though. Top guy. Yeah. So even though your your time in Turkey was short lived in terms of the actual playing and the atmosphere, what was it like? Given that you know, it's, I think it's fair to say that the Turkish fans have quite a reputation for creating an intimidating atmosphere. So the games you played was that quite a good atmosphere to to play in and quite an intense atmosphere. 
when we won the games, they were very, very happy. They were, they were, <laughs> they liked us so much. When we after the game should go to a restaurant where the the, the restaurant paid everything, you know, there was no problem. When we lost again, <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't leave our own stadium. We lose, we lost a home game, and we should never have done that. I had my family down there, and they were waiting for me for four hours because we couldn't leave the stadium <laughs> because they were, throw, they were throwing stones, at, uh, you know, from the stands, so we couldn't go out. They were waiting for us. We couldn't go out at, uh, to our bus, so we were we were waiting four hours uh, until we could leave. So yeah, when we won, everything was perfect. When we didn't win, if we lose, if we lost, everything was chaos. So yeah, that's how it is. It's black and white. That's uh, like the, the colors, particularly. That was what you're saying. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, well, very very extreme, one extreme to the other. So um, after after Besiktas, you you returned to Denmark. But were you looking for a Danish club to take you on, or were you looking for a move abroad, or were you just generally sizing up your <laughs> options? I was just. Uh, I remember when I came back to Denmark, some of my friends uh, came to me and said, "Now we have to go uh, down to have some beers. We have to we have to relax, have a good time because they could they could uh, they could feel that." I need just to get away from everything. So we went down, had a couple of beers, and you know, I think we got pissed and drunk everything uh, because I just need to get away from 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 everything. It was a very very tough time uh, in Turkey, and I remember my plan was just to just to relax for 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 a couple of weeks because see if I should play football again. Honestly, I was I was just going football crazy nearly everything was so so chaotic but then ever phones just out of nothing because uh, Ryan Essen uh, had uh, I think he had a head injury at the time um, and he said to want to play football in Scotland I said oh Eber, yeah I would like <laughs> to play football again but maybe it should be not now maybe in a month or something like that I should just recover from everything but uh, uh, he said, yeah, you, you have to play on Saturday. We have a game on Saturday and our goalie had a, a, a head injury. So I said, okay, I'll come over. But I haven't been training for the last <laughs> two two weeks. So uh, then I went over and uh, it was quite easy to... It, it wasn't about money any, uh, or anything. It was just to see, all right, I'll give it a go. I would like to play football. I could feel it, but uh, I didn't know. Uh, 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 how it was to play in Scotland. That was yeah. uh, uh, quite obvious because I, I've just seen Celtic Rangers and heard about Aberdeen's uh, history in Europe, but I haven't really seen that much. But I, I knew him and he said, oh, come, that will, that will shoot you, that will fit you. So come on and we will, we'll give you a good time. And he was right. Yeah, I mean, let's just look at that. So as you say, it's at this point, Eb, steps in it's announced on the 26th of October 2001 that you signed a deal to join Aberdeen until the end of the season as you touched on Aberdeen are desperately looking for a goalkeeper Ryan Essen's got a concussion um, yeah. D- David Priest is telling everyone at this point that he's injured because he dropped some furniture on his foot but that's right yeah you're right yes 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 but the truth has come out much later in the years it turns out that him and Ben Thornley were mucking around on a night out and <laughs> 
he knocked a brass plaque, you know, you get on an outside an office building and it fell onto his foot. And I think he broke his foot or something of that ilk. So um, I don't think we're giving away any trade secrets there on that one now. I think Preece's spoken about that on a couple of occasions. Given the experience you just had in Turkey, did Ebb have to do much to convince you to, to come over to Aberdeen at that point? No, not at no. all. When I came, uh, I took the play from Esberg. Uh, and when I came, Ebbe picked up myself. And, and when I was in his car, I just relaxed. I was just looking forward to it. Everything was calm. I have to go back to Turkey to tell you, when I came to Turkey to sign my contract, the airport, there were thousands of Besiktas fans waiting for me. Then it was crazy. And I... Uh, I can't say I didn't like it, but it was too much. It was too wild. Uh, and then I came to Aberdeen. It was just Ebbe came in his Mercedes and uh, and picked me up. And we was talking yeah, like uh, about Aberdeen and about old days. So it was um, it was quite the opposite. So I <laughs> yeah. was re- relaxed from the first moment. Uh, so it wasn't. It wasn't difficult for me when I came to to the club uh, and to just to finish the, the the contract. There wasn't any problem at all. So, no, it was easy for me, and and I was happy and was um, I was looking forward to it when from from the from the day I signed. I was looking forward to it. I could feel it. I've always been a big big supporter of British football, of course, English football, but. But the Scottish Premier League, um, I learned, was like, I think the Premier League was for, for, for 20 years ago when I was there. Yeah, you okay. know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. When I was there, we, we, uh, in Aberdeen, we had the, the boot room. We had, you know, all the uh, ball uh, boys, you know, the, that, that, that uh, took your boots and, and so on. That was uh, what, what uh, happened in in England for 20 years ago. That was, uh, I was brought up with that. I've yeah. heard about that. that was uh, how things was in, in England. So I was just happy to be in uh, in the middle of that. That was football for me. So yeah, I was I was happy. I was relaxed and happy and was looking forward to, to, to be there. And how much did you know about Aberdeen, the club, the city before you, before you made the move? Uh, to be honest, I, of course, I knew uh, that I think we we say Denmark, and you can correct me if it isn't fair, but it's the third biggest club. Uh, of course, you have Celtic, you have Rangers, but Aberdeen is still. I think when when people talk about here in Denmark, they will say it's the third biggest club in, in Scotland. Of course, uh, mostly because of of the famous uh, European uh, uh, wins and 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 Ferguson's name. Um, and they had some some very good players that uh, have played in Aberdeen. Uh, it will not be fair for me to mention uh, the names because then I will forget some. <laughs> but the strike an example now. I did it, but but uh, 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 I think I think people uh, will will say that that's the first third biggest club in, yeah. in Scotland. So we'll, we'll go on to your, your debut now. As you mentioned, when Ebb phoned up and you're asking for uh, maybe a, a few weeks or a month before you come over, 
He's yeah. telling you, nope, there's a game on Saturday. So I think you, <laughs> you, you arrive and then you make your debut um, at home against Hearts the very next day. Yeah. Can you maybe just explain to us actually how difficult that is as a goalkeeper? You're going into you know, a team you've never played with, a defence you've probably never even met, and then there you are starting the match. Yeah. Normally, it shouldn't be that, that difficult, honestly, because you are just there to save the balls. Uh, and I did uh, twice. I, I forgot that. I, I, I agree. I think we, we won 3 2. Um, but it was just the, the, the style of football that, that's, uh, that was very different from from the style I used to play uh, uh, in, in Denmark. Uh, it's not that style that's more tactical and technical. In Turkey, there were no defense. Yeah. The, we had a defender who were uh, our top scorer. <laughs> <laughs> but that also tells that we didn't have a defense. So it was just one we won all the time. I was one we won with all the strikers from, from the other team. So, uh, and then in Scotland, at that time, it was very physical from 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 many teams. It was a high tempo games. Sometimes I thought when I came uh, and saw it, the tempo was too high because they forgot the ball. Sometimes they were <laughs> run, run run run. Everything was so hectic. Uh, uh, but uh, that was that was the biggest difference. That was the style of football. It was it, it was not that uh, I didn't know the defense. Uh, the defenders. It was more that the style of football. I uh, I should just get used to how how they play the with 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 crosses and uh, and they went a little bit more for the goalies when he when he uh, uh, came for the ball. They were they were more physical. That was that was the style I should get used to. Yeah. So so more it's more the style. That was the shock, yeah. rather than having yeah. to play with you know professional yeah. players that you hadn't played with before. Yeah. So I think yeah. that yeah, that we get that. Um, that's quite a common theme for maybe people who've moved to Scotland for the first time, or even just sort of British football that it's quite intense and it's quite physical compared to maybe what most people have been brought up on. So we maybe go into the match in a little bit more detail. I think Hearts take the lead on 16 minutes, uh, an odd goal where I think the ball goes in straight from yeah. a free kick. So yeah. what's just what's going through your head at, at that point in time? I remember it. It was when you see football nowadays, it's the same. When you have a free kick on the side, it's important when you have an in-swinger that the, uh, that the shot has a direction of the goal, you know, always... Uh, Mostly, uh, it has a direction on the back post. And it was the same here because uh, if no one touches it, it has the opportunity to go in uh, uh, itself. And that uh, uh, was uh, what happened. Uh, you know, an in-swinger came uh, and it went uh, straight to the goal. And I remember, um, I always blame, me, uh, blame myself for, 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 for nearly for, for all goals, uh, that has uh, went in, but but I was I wasn't happy, but uh, I, I wouldn't ex uh, came uh, I wouldn't come up with any excuses uh, about oh that's why that's why um, I I I I just remember the goal uh, and I I was blaming myself, uh, but I, I I it was just important for me 
just to just to reset and and say, all right, that that that, that can happen. It's it's my debut. I, I just to, uh, uh, have to to uh, to go on uh, and 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 don't think about it. Um, and it was, of course, I was very happy that and we won a game, a game where there were red cards. I remember I was uh, phoning after the game home to some friends and said, that was that was my debut. There were five goals. I think there were a couple of reds, whether two and two or three reds. Yeah, I was just looking, to, so I think Daddy, Eugene Daddy equalised about a minute yeah. later and Robbie Winters netted from the spot before Ben Thornley kicks out to actually Alan Mabry. So he gets himself <laughs> a red card before half time. So that's an interesting 45 minutes for you. Hearts get the equaliser with Adam for Derek Young. Uh, he actually gets the winner, and then Hearts yeah. have one more player sent off. So you're right. So you finish three-two <laughs> on your on your debut, which is probably it's probably quite an intense ninety minutes as debuts go. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, that was, uh, remember, I came from Turkey where everything was was crazy. But but the first game that was the Turkish wise, I think, with with five goals and two red cards, but. Uh, no, it was. I think it was a typical British game where 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 it was uh, physical, uh, very physical, and I think it was good for the spectators, but not for the goalies. You must have been wondering what the fuck this Scottish football was all about. <laughs> yeah, but uh, in front of me, I had uh, Derek White. Um, he was uh, our captain and a very exper- uh, experienced player. And um, I spoke to him, especially in the beginning, because uh, we spoke the same language, if you understand. <laughs> we were two older guys, uh, uh, and that helped me a lot. Uh, he was a very, very good captain, a very, very good captain. Uh, good player, good captain. Um, and that, 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 that helped me just to relax a little bit in the games as well, because he was... I could feel he was in charge of what happened uh, in there, and and um, uh, he was just a good leader of the team. So it was important for me to have a guy like him, uh, especially at the beginning of my career there. Yeah, and and you kind of settle immediately into being the first choice goalkeeper for the rest of the season. That includes the famous run of nine home wins in a row, um, which culminated in that two 0 win on a snowy December evening against Celtic at Pataudry. Just your recollections of that game, that would have been your first experience about playing one of Ranger Celtic at, at Pataudry. How was that? <laughs> it was, I was happy because uh, we knew before that it could be a record if we beat Celtic. I was thinking, oh, I would like to be in the record book there as well. But Celtic, ah, they were, they were quite difficult to beat. Uh, I think that maybe was the only game they lost the season, was it, in the league? I don't know if it was the only one they lost, but they, they wouldn't have lost many that season. Put it, that way. Um, it could be. You might be right. Yeah, uh, but I remember after the game, uh, now I'll take a jump, after the game, every uh, every player, apart from me, was uh, liking a train, you know. I think there's a picture at Pertucco where they are like a, like a human train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Running around there, um, and and I thought, wait a minute, we haven't won anything. We won a game, but we haven't won the league. But uh, of course, I could I could feel from the 
from the from the fans and also from from the players, especially the young players, how much it uh, uh, it meant to 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 them to to beat Celtic and of course a record. I was happy. Don't don't uh, don't misunderstand me, but I I think I was too old to to <laughs> to, to joining that train. But no, I was happy, uh, and it was a it was a big game. We got a red card as well uh, in that game. Uh, Derek White got a got a red card, so we were under pressure. Uh, and I remember, um, I I I was uh, uh, I had a block. Uh, you know, I was I, yeah. was I was throwing myself down to a block, and I can't remember. Uh, it was they had an was it a Japanese player uh, who who came with his boots uh, just. Uh, uh, in my stomach, uh, 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 and and it really hurt. So I was lying down to to wait to the officials to come in. After the game, Martin O'Neill had a go at me, the the the, the Celtic manager, and said that that was typical foreign foreign players. They were <laughs> diving and everything, and uh, and I showed my my, uh, my stomach that it was really it looked really really bad. Yeah. So they were bad, bad losers, if you can say that. They because I got, I got hammered. Of course, we can uh, say that, Peter. Don't worry about it. Of course, we can say that. <laughs> <laughs> that annoyed me a little bit because I thought that was that was bad from a big manager to say that. I was, I wasn't happy because I didn't die. Goalie that died. That, that that's crazy. So, yeah, uh, and and we won two 0 and I was very very happy because. Celtic had a good team with with Larson, Sutton, and Half. I think they maybe played all three. Um, so yeah. Bobo Balde was there. We were in the week up to the game. Ebbeskovdal. We had set pieces against because they were so so good in the air, uh, and he was trying some new formations. How we could cope with with, with all the good headers they had. Um, and he came up with with some crazy stuff. And <laughs> I said, hey, "Stop! We can't. We, we can't do that. Just go normal. We're we're good enough. We're we're quite small team at the time. We maybe had some, yeah. a, a couple of decent headers, but it was a quite quite a smaller team. Uh, and Celtic wasn't. There was a big team, but we coped with everything. Uh, and yeah, I think we deserved the, the win in the end. So I was I was happy." Yeah, hey, Bobo Baldi's still looking for Eugene after that turn he did on them. Oh, you did, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that was great. When we came to Chelsea, I remember when when we get out of the bus, they had this this uh, this song that Bobo's gonna get you. They're yeah. always they're always uh, some that uh, when we came out of the bus, uh, Bobo's gonna get you. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Uh, he was he was a big lad. Bobo, uh, Bobo got David Priest a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Scotsman said to me, honestly, he said to me, when you have a goal kick, you have to see where Bobo Bale is, and then you have to kick it far <laughs> away from him. Because honestly, he told me, maybe with a smile, but not as I remember. Uh, because if you hit him, he can head it down to the goal. He said. I said, ah, yeah, but he, he can't do that. That's that's quite, quite a long way. Honestly, I said, don't don't hit him. He can hit it down to the goal again. 
it's a great night. Um, it's Graham's first ever Aberdeen game, as I recall. Graham, it's a fantastic night. And you're right, Peter. I went and looked it up. It was the only game Celtic lost that season. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. So I did. I did my research. You did your research. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so we'll maybe talk quickly about another infamous fixture that season. Actually, it was a. Uh, a 1-0 home defeat uh, to Rangers, which will forever be yeah. remembered for Robbie Winters being struck on the head by a coin uh, in the first half that culminated in actually both sides being taken off the park for a period of time until the, the police regained control. In the build-up to that game, how aware were you of the history between Aberdeen and Rangers? And is that something that uh, was talked about in the dressing room? Yeah, it was. Um... Because it was, I can't, I can't remember the timeline, but I remember there was an accident with uh, Fernando Rickson. Now, of course, it's very sad that he's not here anymore. Fernando Rickson, I think it was he made a very bad tackle on was it one of the young, one of the young brothers? I forget. Yeah, Gary will remember uh, which one, but yeah, it was, it was quite an unpleasant tackle. Yeah, I remember that, uh, and then I heard there was some. Uh, for 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 many years ago uh, in uh, at Ibrox where there was some bad tackle as well. Uh, so at the time we heard some 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 bad stories. So of course we knew it was a game that was that could be very uh, intense, and therefore uh, the 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 kickoff was uh, at midday. Uh, it was. An early kickoff, where the Rangers fans was uh, with with an escort. They were uh, with a police escort uh, uh, escorted to the stadium. So we have heard that before. So we knew that it was not not just a normal game. Um, and they were right; it wasn't just a normal game. I think it was. We went to the dressing room for was it twenty twenty five minutes. Because they were they were throwing snow ice on the on the Rangers players when they had corner kicks, uh, so yeah, it was a crazy game with with a crazy goal to to win it for Rangers. Yeah, I mean the game ends up a one 0 defeat. Uh, Robbie Winters yeah. picks up about twenty quid in loose change off of the Rangers end when he tries to take a <laughs> corner kick. But but Aberdeen rallied well. Uh, eventually, we secured a return to European football, uh, a fine 3-0 win against Livingston uh, towards the end of the season ensures that we would finish no lower than fourth. Um, you end the campaign, you'd made 25 appearances since you came in, 11 clean sheets in that time. And then in the January, so this is, you know, only three months into your stay, it's announced that you'd signed an extension two-year deal to stay to the end of the next season, to the end of the 2003 season. Was that something that you and Eb had discussed before you'd even moved to Aberdeen that you might look at extending or was this just something that came about naturally because you were performing well and enjoying life? We agreed that um, I will I will see what it was uh, because I, I, I wasn't young anymore. Uh, so maybe maybe it was just a short time uh, and then I will finish and, and go back to Denmark. I had some two young boys that uh, should go to normal school, but... Uh, we will we will see in a short period of time if it was something that that should be uh, uh, extended. And uh, I I have just played a few games. Uh, then they came to me and and said we will offer you a contract that uh, will take you the rest of the season and the next season as well. Uh, and I said 
I would I would like that. Of course, I discussed it with my family. They were settled in for the first day. From the first day, it was so easy for me to say yes. So I was happy to say yes. But we hadn't uh, agreed that uh, before I came. It was it was agreed just uh, a few months after I came that that we would just uh, make a a longer contract. Great stuff. And how did you find life at Aberdeen in that first season? I mean, we, we just spoke about the fact that Harold had moved to Besiktas in the summer before, but you've got fellow Scandinavians still and uh, Thomas Solberg, uh, Keto Guntveit, they were still at the club. Did they help you to settle or were there other players, you spoke with Derek White a minute ago, that kind of helped you to settle in at the city and that you were close with during your time? Yeah, there was no one special because it was everyone that it was so easy for me and my family to 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 settle in. Uh, we found a, a house on Birch Road, um, uh, had some nice neighbors, and it was easy for for my wife and my two sons to 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 be there. And that's important uh, for me as well that that my family was was uh, was happy there. And of course, uh, I had some some good goalie. Uh, Friends, if you say that, with, with Ryan Essen, Priest, and, and Jim Layden. We had a small club in the club. I, I always used to say that when we were goalie. And it, it, it worked well. We were, we were good together. We, we, uh, we had good friendships. Uh, so uh, it, was, it was easy for me. And uh, someone always asked, oh, you had a Danish coach. Did you speak much to him? No. I didn't. Uh, I spoke to him when I was in the club, as as other players uh, were doing. But uh, outside the club, uh, we didn't show each other. So it was it was not uh, that uh, now there's a day and a Danish coach. Now uh, now they are they are seeing each other more and so on. No, we didn't. I um, I was just uh, it was just a normal. Uh, 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 Friendship, but um, it was easy for me to settle in. Every everyone was so so nice, and and uh, of course you should understand when I came from a very very chaotic uh, chaotic <laughs> stay in Turkey too, uh, and then come to Scotland uh, and 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 uh, at a very friendly club like Aberdeen, it was it was another world for me. Uh, I was yeah, I was really enjoying my football very, very much. So at, at this point in time, Jim Layton had migrated into a, a coaching role, having retired a couple of seasons prior to that. What was your relationship like with Jim? And actually, how did you find him as a coach? Um, he was a tough He was a tough guy. You have to bleed when you are training. And, uh, you have to puke, really. Uh, he, was, he was an old school coach. It was simply sometimes we had we had some days where he said, "Yeah, today we know it will be be, be tough," and he didn't uh, uh, um, surprise it. It was tough. So he was an old school uh, coach, but he was a good coach. He he was uh, looking uh, at the goalkeeping uh, stuff like I. Uh, 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 like that, that, that was quite simple, but it was what it was about to 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 be at the right place to have safe hands and so on. So um, I liked it, uh, even if it was the the, the toughest goal, goalkeeper 
coach I've ever uh, have been training uh, uh, with. So, yeah, maybe that that uh, that makes me uh, play my my best season uh, late in my career. So you, you've mentioned that we had uh, Ryan Essen and David Priest, two relatively yeah. young uh, goalkeepers on the books. What was your relationship like with them, given that they're starting out in the game and you've obviously got a wealth of experience that you can share with them? I didn't feel that they were hoping that I was uh, making any mistake. Uh, maybe maybe they did. And and I can't, I can't blame them because it could have been normal, but... But I didn't feel it. Uh, I I, uh, I came very good uh, uh, across with them. They, they, they were we saw each other uh, sometimes also uh, uh, outside football. So um, they, 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 there were no 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 bad stories uh, uh, in between. So they were also because I think they were younger than me. That that maybe. Uh, uh, they were maybe thinking, all right, this old guy in a couple of years, he's gone, then and we're still young, we will we'll be there then. So no, it was good. No, no, I I, I don't have any bad thing to, to say about these guys. So actually just in general, the squad was quite quite young. Did you quite enjoy being one of the the more experienced members of the squad? Or did you find maybe some of the, the pranksters, the younger guys does that get a bit tiring after you've been doing it for as many years as you had? <laughs> I was tough when we were going out for, uh, for, for for a beer or something like that. I couldn't, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do the same like like they like they were doing. I remember sometimes when we uh, got home from from an away game, they were planning a, a party, and and I went down. Of course, when you're a foreign player, I think it's important that you you also join. Join younger players when they are going out for for a beer, but sometimes when I can, I came down. They were already they were already drunk. And <laughs> I remember, I remember one summer he was he was throwing out of a of a bar. <laughs> so uh, no, it was it was good. Uh, I enjoyed. I don't know if you can say I enjoyed to be in one of the older guys, but I enjoyed to see if I could give something of my uh, experience to, to, to the teammates uh, and to the goalies. And I tried to do that, but first of all, it, it was just for me to, to, to finish my uh, career off well. I was, I, was, I was thinking about myself because I knew uh, it was close to the end. So it was very important for me to finish my career where where people can say, all right, uh, he was still a decent goalkeeper uh, instead of just to to shout at me, go home and stop and quit and so on. <laughs> that would have been, then I've been very sad. Yeah. And you travelled to the 2002 World Cup in Japan yeah. and Korea as part of the Danish squad. And to this day, that means you're still the last Aberdeen player to have headed all to right. a World Cup finals. <laughs> um, so although you don't... Uh, play you're on the bench as Denmark beat defending champions France topped the group um, France are sent home in the group stages um, it's not to be though for, for Denmark a crushing 3-0 defeat by well, a team we won't mention in the round of 16 sees the Danes exit but how did you find the trip in general and what was the experience like of a World Cup in 
in Korea because all the Danish group games were in Korea. Then you played in Japan where the England game was. Personally, uh, it was the best uh, for me because uh, in 1998 uh, for Denmark it was uh, a big success. We we got beat in the in the quarterfinal uh, uh, against Brazil, but um, up to the 2002 um, in Japan and Korea, I played an important game in Bulgaria uh, where we won two and we should win the game to to make sure that we could go to the World Cup. So uh, I thought I have uh, done done something to to uh, uh, to the team. Um, I, I I played one of my my, my best games ever uh, when we won two nil away from home against Bulgaria. So I I really thought that I'm 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 allowed to be here uh, in the Danish squad, if you understand me. Yeah. Um, and. And that was at the time someone was talking about maybe uh, I should keep my place after the Bulgarian game. Uh, and Morten Olsen came to me uh, and said, of course, uh, I will stick to Thomas. And I said, there's no problem. Of course, I know that he's younger and he's a big goalie. He's a good goalie. Everything is perfect. But there was just rumors that, that it, 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 it could have been a possibility. But um, it was all right. There was no problem. But I was just happy that I could have done anything for, for Denmark. So it was important for me to go to the World Cup 2002, 2000 uh, uh, in Japan, uh, Korea. So I was happy. So following on from that, it's not long till you're, you're back in action for, for Aberdeen. The 2002-03 campaign starts off with uh, actually a Chris Clark last uh, last gasp winner um, at Easter Road against Hibs before Aberdeen eventually see off uh, Nistro Atachi from Moldova, uh, 1-0 in aggregate in the UEFA Cup, which set up a, a memorable second round tie against Hertha Berlin. Uh, so the home fixture with Audrey was actually the 100th European fixture for Aberdeen, so quite a, quite a big team to, um, to round off that occasion. Uh, the first leg nil nil um, ends up, you know, sets us up for the the second game in Germany. Uh, specifically, what I just ask you around Roberto Bisconti, who was probably man of the match in that that nil nil draw uh, at Pataudry. What can you remember about him, and what was he like to play alongside, and what was he like in the dressing room? Uh, he always looked injured. <laughs> I remember that he was his knees. He couldn't really run, but he was a fighter. He was always throwing himself in all tackles. But I remember when I saw him, I said the the medical when he came must have been uh, closing the eyes because he couldn't be fit. When I saw his knees and angle, it was unbelievable. But when he was on the on the pit, he was giving everything. So he was. I think he was a typical British football player. Even though, of course, I know he wasn't uh, uh, a British football player, but. Uh, ah, he was he was very good to to uh, to have in the team. He was he was always uh, uh, um, going uh, dragging dragging Aberdeen uh, with him. He was he was he was nearly playing as a captain. You know, he was always throwing himself in front of everything. So he was he was a fighter. He was he was very good, uh, especially at that time because we have so. We have more uh, unexperienced players, uh, and he was important to have. Uh, he was good, very, very good. 
your memories just of the home leg itself, Peter, and what was the mood like in the in the squad as we headed over to Berlin? Um, I remember coming to to Berlin. We played on the Olympic Stadium. Uh, they were, I think, they were they were rebuilding something because uh, it wasn't full. Um, uh, and when we have we came with a decent result, it's not. It's not the worst result to to play Milan in the first game at home because if we score uh, away from home, we know what problem that at that time could give. I know nowadays it's it's another rule, but um, and we played a good game. As I remember, there were something that tells me that we uh, maybe scored, should have scored, could have scored. Or there were a wrong decision. I I really can't hundred percent say the situation, but as I think there were there were situations where where I think we we maybe have scored or or it was disallowed. I can't remember, them, but of course I remember we we lost one nil. I think it was Michael Prates who scored. Yeah, Prates. Yeah. The the labor uh, big man in 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 Hertha Berlin. He was. Also, uh, a German international. They had a good team. Kirali, I remember the goalie. He played in the grey, uh, long uh, yeah. sleeves. It was crazy. He was Hungarian. He was a good goalie, but it was crazy to always to play these long sleeves. Yeah. Um, it was a big team, and so we we could have done it. I remember we could have we could have done it in Berlin. Yeah, and I guess what was? Can you remember what was the reaction like? after the game and how did Ebb take it? I mean, we ran a Bundesliga side so close over two legs and for our younger listeners who won't remember this, you know, mm-hmm. Hertha had spent seven and a half million pounds on the Brazilian Marcelino alone yeah. in, that, in that summer running in. It's uh, it's so close, but just so far. Yeah, but that's why I was searching for, for this moment because I remember we were talking about a special moment in the game uh, that that Maybe it was a late equalizer. There, there is something that could have brought us through this uh, this game. Uh, I think Russell Anderson had a header cleared off the line. He did, yeah. And that would have put us, you know, that, that would have been put us through. Yeah, so I think that's what you're thinking of because that's the one that I can recall. I think that's maybe the only sort yeah. of clear-cut chance that I can recall. And that would have obviously, obviously completely changed. That was maybe over the line then. <laughs> 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 it could have been. No, I was very right. drunk. I can't remember. <laughs> no, but but uh, yeah, of course, we, we we knew we were close, and we played a, 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 a equal game uh, with Berlin uh, in Berlin, and that was quite a statement, I think, because they had a good team. They, it was a big club. They played in a big stadium, had some big players. So, uh, and we played a good game, and it could easily have been one-one easily. So following on from that, we'll return to domestic duty. So it's a bit of a poor start domestically for the Dons, an exit to Hearts in the League Cup quarterfinal on the 12th of November. It's followed up by a poor 2-1 defeat away to Partick Thistle, where I think you're actually forced off the hamstring injury um, just late late in the first half. That actually kept checking until March uh, the following year, actually. And after that game, it was when Ebby announces his intention to step down as manager at the end of the season or, or earlier if a replacement could be found. 
Eventually, Ebb leaves the club prior to the home draw with Motherwell that uh, sees Gardner Spears take temporary charge. What was the reaction like in the dressing room when Ebb announced that he was going to either leave at the end of the season or earlier if the club could find a replacement? I mean, I'm thinking specifically, it's probably an unusual situation to be in that the manager announces he's going to go at the end of the season or earlier. I guess normally managers just come in one day and don't come in the next. Yeah, you're right. Uh, in Denmark, we say that that was a, a rolling contract, that uh, a contract that uh, went on every morning. You were you wake up, then you have another day in charge, another day in charge, and that was the first time I've heard about it. I didn't, I hadn't heard about it before, so I was surprised as well. I haven't spoke to ever about anything about about that. So. Um, so that uh, that surprised me a little bit, uh, but um, of course, when you are a professional, you was just uh, looking for yourself and say, "All right, uh, that that will happen." Uh, and of course, you must think about yourself, think about the club, um, and if he leaves, there will be a new manager. But that, that's quite professional. But I was surprised when I heard it. So we were just uh, we've touched on you know Ebb already. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away in October 2020. Just yeah. wondering, did you did you keep in touch with him much after you had both left Aberdeen? Not that much. Um, of course, when I was uh, in Copenhagen uh, working and uh, and seeing Brunby, he was sometimes at the stadium. Uh, I met him a couple of times when uh, his son Rene. He was a fitness coach in Cardiff uh, together with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, and my work uh, later on uh, was, and still is, um, doing the uh, English Premier League. So when they were in the Premier League, I was going sometimes to Cardiff and he was there uh, to visit his uh, son, René. Uh, and of course, we had a chat. And, uh, and when we saw each other, we... Uh, we had a chat, but no, I didn't uh, spoke so much to him. Um, so you've described, you know, your, your thoughts of Ebb as a manager, but what was he like as a person? I mean, we, you know, we see he's got his stories and his quotes and, and the character, but anyone we've spoken to only ever has kind things to say about him. So just wondering maybe how you would summarise him as a person rather than him as a manager. I had Ebb uh, also in Vaila. Uh, and I had him in Aberdeen, and he was um, when he was around the football pits, stayed in club. He was a tough guy. Uh, he was uh, he was tough with himself. He was tough with with the players. But when you had him one, we won. Uh, you could feel he he had a big heart. He was very concerned, and um, if you had any problem. I will guarantee you, you could you could phone him three o'clock in the night, and he will uh, uh, come to your house. He was uh, he had a very very big heart, so he was tough when you saw him and heard him uh, speaking about football. But uh, outside, he was uh, a very very nice guy. After um, Ebb departs, it's Steve Patterson and Duncan Shearer. Um, who are the men appointed to take charge of the club? It's fair to say they're kind of um, tasked initially with attempting to really drastically reduce the costs of the playing staff. What were your initial impressions, Peter, of the new management team when they came in? 
uh, I know how, how tough I can be or how hard I can be, but uh, Duncan Shearer, uh, Shearer was, um, uh, I think he was perfect uh, in many ways. Um, I liked him very much. He was he was very good at the role he had. Um, and his football philosophy was uh, quite modern, I think. Um, and he was he was a very good man. Um, Patterson was was a special manager. He was. Um, I remember when we um, we heard we should uh, have Steve Patterson as a new manager. Um, they were talking about he was the new Scottish uh, uh, hope. Um, he was he will be the next big manager for Scotland. Um, so so I was uh, I was looking forward to it, but um, I it was quite easy for me to to say after a few weeks that he wouldn't be the next Scotland manager. I think he had some some personal problems when he came to us. Uh, and you could feel it right away. So, ah, it wasn't the best. Uh, it wasn't the best. Uh, he was a nice guy, so very very nice. But uh, I think it was it wasn't the, the the best fit for the club. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Obviously, we have the benefit of hindsight here, but maybe just wasn't quite the right fit um, at the right time. So we'll we'll move back on to you, your your playing career with Aberdeen. So you following on from your your hamstring injury. You, you make your way back to the first team on the 1st of March 2003, a 2-0 defeat away at Kilmarnock, uh, and then you're never-present in the side for the remainder of the campaign, which sees Aberdeen suffer only one more defeat in the remaining 10 matches in the league as we see out the campaign in eighth spot with a points haul that would have seen us um, actually sitting in sixth. But if you remember the way the split worked, post-split, yeah. didn't matter how many points you got to an extent, you know, you, you were capped um, as it were, so eighth spot, maybe not great but the points haul was was a little more encouraging, so even with your, your your spell out with injury you ended up with 29 appearances in all competitions and eight clean sheets, was there any talk with the management team about you maybe looking to extend your contract with Aberdeen or had you made a decision that, you know that, that was enough time for you and Aberdeen. Yeah, uh, there was. Um, I could have had one more year, um, but at at the time there were there were two uh, what you say there were two reasons why it didn't happen. Um, the first one was uh, I had promised my family uh, and my my two sons that they should uh, uh, start up in Danish schools uh, uh, in Denmark. Um, and the the second thing, maybe the most important thing, was it became very very important for me to finish uh, on the stage in my career where people was talking about oh maybe he could have a half year or one more season or something like that, uh, rather than oh he should have finished his career for a year ago. That that was very very important for me uh, 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 in the last stage of my career uh, to finish on maybe not a high but on a decent level where where people uh, didn't have a laugh at me. So uh, I think I can walk out the door and people won't uh, uh, talk about oh that was a, 
a year too late. So that that was the two main reasons why I didn't uh, play for, for, for one more year. Yeah, and I think I can say quite safely, Peter, on behalf of every Aberdeen fan, I think that you certainly walked out the door from Aberdeen with people thinking that you could have gone for another year anyway, I think. Oh, you know, for me, uh, when I grew up, Theo Schnelders was our goalkeeper and, and I loved Theo. Yeah. And it, it took until you came along, I think, first to feel we had a really good goalkeeper in the sticks. Jim came back, but he wasn't quite the keeper he had been in the 80s. And it was excellent. So you, you left Aberdeen uh, after making 54 appearances, 19 clean sheets. So that's a 35% record, which is not bad considering that second season wasn't much to write home about. No. No. And you decide to then retire from the game. Um, you had a short spell as sporting director at uh, Sukborg. Um, yeah. And then currently working, I think, still as a, a pundit for Danish TV. Yeah, I am. I am uh, at the moment. Um, I've been working with that since I since I left Aberdeen, nearly uh, from 2003. Uh, and mostly with, with, with the Danish League, the Champions League. Uh, but the last, I think it must be five years, I'm just uh, working with the English Premier League uh, as a, a, a pundit, uh, or what you call it, we call it expert, you can, you, can, you can call it what you want. But uh, I think you've, you know what it is. Uh, and, and it's in the studio here in Denmark, or, or, uh, or as a, a, a commentator, uh, expert commentator on the same, the last... A game in England I had was Liverpool Brentford three 0 at Anfield. So that's my that's my work now, uh, and I enjoy very much, um, and and I still follow uh, the clubs I've I've been playing for, um, which includes absolutely Aberdeen. I follow them the season and how they are going on. So that's also my work nowadays. To that's to to follow my former clubs. So you'll uh, you'll be delighted to know we've got one more question to go, but before I ask that question, I just want to really thank you for taking the the time to to speak to us. It's been a real pleasure, and we're you know really really appreciative of your time and everything that you did as a player for Aberdeen. So um, I'll ask you one last question, and it's a question that we ask everyone who's been kind enough to give us the time, and the question is, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Um, it's quite easy. It 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 meant to me and my family uh, that I um, I got uh, in the last uh, period of my career. I had the joy to play football. I didn't I didn't have uh, had any problems. I I uh, I learned to play in a club that was honest uh, to. Uh, to play in a club where you were supporting people who were doing the best for the club and accepted that you can't win all the games, but if you're doing your job and you behave yourself as a good person, people will 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 uh, people will remember you and they will uh, accept you. Um, so it was it was. Um, it it was a big club with a big football heart. Um, so I I'm very very thankful that I have been in Aberdeen, and 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 it will always be close to my heart. Uh, for me and my family, uh, we often talk about our time in Aberdeen. It meant so much to to us uh, as a family. So it's it's a big honor to have been there. Great stuff. 
Peter Kerr, top man, thank you for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Stand free. Thank you, thank you. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week. Jake Graham will turn up next week, Gav. Of course he will. And he'll have, he'll have stories to tell about stereophonics. Yeah, word gets around. Oh yeah, or whatever the fuck their new album's called. Oh, no, it's not that, is it? Oh, it's, like, it it's like they've taken, you know, one of the sound effect noises that shows up in a Batman fight in like the like early 70s version of Batman. What? Like, kapow! Bam! <laughs> Hoo-ya! Wallop! Crash bang wallop! What, what a video! video. <laughs> Join us next week for episode 37 where we'll be joined by Andy Murray. Yes, that Andy Murray. To preview our trip to Dens Park in the next of our make or break fixtures as we try to sneak into a European slot. We'll have our usual look at our loanies in Lone Watch. We'll see how the women's team got on in their fixtures against Rangers and Spartans. And in true what culture fashion, Andy will join us to do a list. But that's all you're getting right now. Look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. Ooch, yeah. That's the name of the album. <laughs>